get it going. It's time to get up. Pedersen takes a shot. Back to Hughes. Back to Pedersen with a drive. He scores! That might be the biggest goal of the year for Elias Pedersen. These guys are here to break it all down. You got to start beating these teams, and we just got to get a bit of a streak going. And that's that's also the beauty of it, too. You're playing teams that you do beat them. You gain points on them every night. So hopefully we've been through the rough patch of the year, and we just got to keep pushing and getting better like we are. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Keep your hands out of my box, please. Okay. <laughs> this is the starting lineup. Here's James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine, Metro Vancouver. It is Monday, February 22nd. This is the starting lineup here on your home of the Canucks. Yeah, we're still admitting that here. It's Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup. James Sabalski here. Perry Silkowski there. Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass, kicking it with you until 9 o'clock this morning here on Sportsnet 650. Dunbar Lumber text line always open for business at 650-650. Get your submissions in. Canucks in a song. What track best sums up the Canucks performance last night in that agonizing, heartbreaking loss? Again, starting to sound like a broken record. At Sportsnet 650 is where you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as well. And Lots to get to this morning. Carolyn Cameron from Hockey Night in Canada and uh, host of the regional broadcast on Sportsnet for the Vancouver Canucks will drop by in an hour. Plus, Kevin Bieksa, it's Juice Mondays. Kevin dropping by just after 8 o'clock. And Grant Fuhrer, one of the greatest goaltenders in NHL history, Hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, Grant Fuhrer joining us coming up at 8.30 here on Sportsnet 650. That one hurt again last night, Pear. And when you look at uh, enough of the moral victories, right, enough of the moral victories, this team, I think it's time to finally say the Canucks just aren't good enough this year. Brendan Sutter saying, um, you know, hopefully that we're through a rough patch. Uh, can can you consider half a season a rough patch? Like, I mean, it, it's not a patch. A patch is a small sample size. We have watched 22 hockey games. It's like death by a thousand cuts, death by a thousand giveaways, up to nothing. You're going next goal wins. If it's the Jets, they're going to crumble. If it's the Canucks, I think they will see it through. Two massive hockey games against Winnipeg. They get one of the possible four points. And honestly, they weren't bad in either games. They were just not good enough to win. Point the finger where you want. Make a save when you need it. Don't give a puck away, JT Miller, when it's tight. You're not working hard enough. Um, yeah, you, they're just they're not good enough for the teams that they are hanging out with. You know, they deserve to be a team that might be fifth or sixth in this division. Is there a possibility? Sure. Could they get on a run? Sure. But listen, I don't like the odds after what we've seen in the last couple of nights. All right. So so I'm going to channel Positive Perry here for a second, okay? Please do it because I'm going right, to have a tough time with it. Because it's, it's, it's Monday, right? Uh, here, here's the positives. There's the two positives I see from last night. One, what a play by PD last night. I mean, what a freaking play by Elias Pettersson, Right. To, to, to try to channel it from, from the game the board game clue that I can never convince my kids to play enough of, Elias Pettersson in Rogers Arena with the filthy between-the-lades backhander. Are you kidding me? What a goal, right? I mean, like that, like, unfortunately, the result kind of overshadows just an insanely incredible individual effort. The other positive I'll say is, Man, I think if you're a Canucks fan, you'd love to see what the Zach attack did last night. And boy, oh boy, Zach McEwen, 
making a lot of people, I think, around the hockey world sit up and take notice that, okay, you be prepared for the pushback if you're going to mess with the bull with the Vancouver Canucks, right? Like that was a decisive throwdown on Derek Forbort, who's six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounds. There's your positives, but they begin and they end there. Perfect start to the game. Perfect start. Perfect adjustment to the lineup. Great way to start it, and a really good twenty minutes to get that extra two nothing goal. And then you wondered, what will the mistake be, or will they be able to find another one to go up 3 nothing? And to me, you can always go back, and no matter what the sport, what caused that goal? And how far back do you have to go? James, the last Canuck to touch the puck on the first two goals from the Winnipeg Jets was JT Miller. Man, and I, JT Miller's taking some heat, and he still put up his points, but behind the net, Mark Scheifele wants the puck more than JT Miller does. Shifley gets involved. Next thing you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois got his first and a big night for him. And then when they go the other way and Shifley gets his goal and continues his role, that starts because JT Miller makes a behind-the-door pass to, to Pedersen. It's behind him. Can't control it, and it's gone. You're the last guy to touch the puck before it's in the back of your net. Own that a little bit. Great start. Had better possession. Had more chances. All the stats looked in favor of the Vancouver Canucks, yet at the end they're done. And, and picking up one, it's not going to matter. The only thing to me, if you're trying to find the positive, is maybe they saw the best part of the Montreal Canadian season. Because right now in Montreal, they are freaking out about the Habs. And we don't have to deal what happened with the Battle of Alberta two nights in a row because Calgary doesn't know what they're doing. Problem is, Canucks have played so many games, I just don't think they can dig out of the hole that they have. Sutter can give it. Yeah, the great thing is the teams we're playing. doesn't matter. If the teams you're playing beat you, they now have a large gap. You could have been two points ahead of the Winnipeg Jets if, yeah, you would have been like that and, and beat them at two times, as Sutter says. That's the beauty. But they got three out of four against you. Now they're five up on you, and they've got four games in hand, and you're not catching the Winnipeg Jets now. Well, your season essentially comes down in a lot of ways to this week, right? You've got the Jets with a five-point cushion, as you alluded to. They've got four games in hand at that, too, right? The Oilers have a six-point gap with two games in hand. And they're playing some really good hockey right now. Uh, did you see Connor McDavid, by the way, over the weekend? Uh, five he, got points. Th- he got three points uh. yesterday. They didn't play. <laughs> He's just been that good, right? Uh, but the Oilers now have a six-point gap with two games in hand on the Vancouver Canucks. Um, as much as you want to talk about the Habs and the, seas- the sky suddenly falling in Montreal – yeah, they've lost four or five, but they also pick up points in some of those losses too. They also have a three-point cushion with five games in hand. The Leafs, like, that's not even happening, right? Like, they are so far ahead in the point standings right now. they got a 12-point gap. Like, these next four games with the Oilers and the Jets, this is it, right? I mean, the Canucks' point-per-game percentage, their points percentage right now is 409. It is third worst in the National Hockey League. The only two teams, the only two teams that are worse than Vancouver's 409 points percentage is Ottawa and the Detroit Red Wings. The Senators and the Wings. And how do we view the Senators and the Wings, hockey fans? They're the two worst teams in hockey. And that's where we find the Vancouver Canucks statistically right now. Money Puck has them at an 18.5% chance of making the playoffs. 
They got a one in six chance to try to catch a playoff spot right now. The math is so against the Vancouver Canucks right now, Pear. They've got two wins in the last ten games. For all, think about this, for all the talk and the positivity about this team, hey, they're playing better right now. They've been a lot better lately. You know, there's some encouraging signs. They've got two wins in the last 10 games. Think about how much that represents of a season, Perry. You, well, you, you take away those three games against Ottawa. They've got the same amount of wins as the Senators, and if anybody's been able to watch the Senators in the last couple of weeks, go, wow, those guys just don't quit. I'll, I'll give it to the Canucks. They have played better hockey, but it is like death by a thousand cuts. It's like, oh, all right, you're good enough, but you're not good enough to win. And it's becoming to hear the same old thing as far as, um, you know, what we're hearing from the Canucks postgame, because what can you say? Hey, you know what? We played better. I thought we did this. Uh, we, we let that one get away. Hey, you're letting the season get away. As I said to Sutter, it's not, it's not we've hit a bad patch. You've played almost half your hockey games. You're closing in on it. Is it possible you know, got into a conversation this weekend. Someone brought up the St. Louis Blues to me going, well, I guess. I mean, you want to look at the St. Louis Blues from January from last place in the NHL last time there was a real season and turned it around. But I, I just don't see it because of the quality of competition. Toronto's gone. I think Edmonton is gone. I think the Jets are the better team in that conversation. The only hope is somehow the Montreal Canadiens fall back to earth, and I don't think that's happening with Carey Price. Calgary's got issues. Ottawa's kind of happy with how they're playing. They'll take the one win every couple of games because they didn't expect much. But in Vancouver, you expected a lot, and they're not getting it. And the problem is that patch wasn't a patch, man. That was an oil slick, and you slid for a long time. And if you get control of this wheel again, I still don't think you're coming out of it. You're right, James. If you're great against Edmonton, maybe there's a hope. But I just don't see it happening because it seems on these nights, this team actually almost has to be perfect to win, and that's just impossible to do. You know, we made our we made our kind of North Division predictions before the season started. I had Montreal, Toronto, Edmonton, Winnipeg. Those are four teams, and, and those four teams are kind of holding down playoff spots right now. I had Vancouver and Calgary both on the outside with the Ottawa Senators. And, look, there's a lot of hockey still left to play, but when you look at these three-point games and – you know, these four-point divisional games, the the math is not on Vancouver's side. And last night, man, like I've tried to defend Braden Holpe a lot this season. I thought that, hell, here's a guy, a perfect opportunity if there was somebody who was primed for a bounce-back year. But Braden Holpe was terrible last night. You know, you need him to be better. Man, you needed that game. And there's another 2 nothing blown lead. Another two-goal lead squandered. On home ice! We just saw this less than a week ago, right, when the Flames jumped back into it against against the Canucks last week, right? Vancouver has, you know, they're up 2 nothing at the end of the first, and they allow that Lucic goal on a turnover. But Holpe, two goals you got to have. The Shifley goal... That, you know, you talk about a turnover on JT Miller. There's Brock Besser losing the puck along the wall. Shifley off to the races. Leaves it for Wheeler. Back to Shifley. You know, Holpe just, you got to make that save. And I think the overtime goal, you'd ultimately like him to see him stop as well. But, you know, Holpe not good enough. You got another opportunity for Thatcher Demko to get in here and get on another run because... Braden Holpe, man, it's ten games into the season, and you've got a you've been consistently under nine hundred with your save percentage. These last couple of years might be more indicative 
of what Braden Holpe really is these days. A goaltender who has lost his way from being a Vesna winner and a Stanley Cup champion. But the numbers kind of add up to what he is, man. He is who we thought he was the last couple of years, it appears. Well, it's it's about timely saves. And the Shifley one kills, right? The Shifley one kills because, yeah, they, they squeak back into the game and there's momentum. He's, he's got that ability to, to put the puck in an net. He's been on a big streak. But it's you know, when it squeezes through the body and the arm, you want that back. We'll play from hopefully in a second. He's said as much. But it deflates, right? If you've got a fragile mindset, and make no mistake, this team does. There's just no way that they can feel that confident when they have the lead because of what's going on, because of the struggles they've had for the last six weeks. You get that one, you go, man, where, where are we finding it from? Couldn't find it from the power play. Couldn't find it from the special teams, and we could break that down too. You got to score in the power play earlier, not on that last power play to send it into overtime. When Pedersen hit the post earlier on, that makes a difference with time left on the clock. But, yeah, I'm not going to pin it completely on Holpe, but he, they, in both games, Brossant against Demko and then what we saw last night. Winnipeg leaves thinking they had better goaltending, and they're right, they did. Yeah, Laurent Brossant was outstanding on – well, sorry. You know what? Let me check that. Brossant was good enough to get the shutout, but I don't know if he was ever really heavily tested. Right, The Jets did a wonderful job of blocking shots, clogging the lanes. I think they had 18 block shots on Friday night. You know, I thought Demko stood on his head, but I don't know if the Canucks did enough to really get to those high-quality scoring chances on Friday night. And I would even say last night, Pear, when you look at how Hellebuck played, Hellebuck was okay but he didn't look entirely comfortable out there, right? Like, look at how that first goal goes in. You know, you, you look at how that game kind of played out. And Connor Hellebuck was kind of ripe for the picking. And, you know, they let it get away. You know, they were the much better team in that first period. The Jets pushed back. I mean, look, the Jets are, are no slouches. But at the same time, man, you got a 2 nothing lead on home ice. You cannot keep doing this and letting games get away like this. Well, the points just don't, don't add up to them. Points don't add up. It's as, it's as simple as that. that it, you can't have anybody, and, and Tony Electrician is still a believer that, you know what, if they can just get a win and they'll get, get some confidence going, they'll be okay. Hey, I hope they believe that in the dressing room too. It's just we are in a different type of a situation where the teams you were playing are picking up points every night, and, and those are the ones you have to catch. It's too bad. They're a good hockey team, the Vancouver Canucks. And we talked before the season started. Might you take a step back to be that much better next year? You are not going to run into the Edmonton Oilers and the Toronto Maple Leafs on a regular basis. Winnipeg Jets, and they talked about it last night, Shorty and Cheech. The numbers are just wrong if you look at the history that the Jets have had. I think that Winnipeg team is a team that I wouldn't be shocked if they leave and, and are better when this thing's all done in the North Division. When Pierre-Luc Dubois gets going, they are deep down at center ice. They're big. They can push some people around. Um, and I didn't think they were that physical, right, against the Vancouver Canucks. Canucks haven't worried about the physicality. But you're right. Getting into dirty areas, it seems like Hoaglander's the one guy that does that on a consistent basis. Five shots last night for him. Uh, but the goaltending was good enough. It didn't have to be great, but it was good enough for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Demko, does he have to be the guy to step up? Yeah. But, this, you know, if your goalie needs to be sensational, that's just masking problems. And the Canucks' problems right now wasn't when the season started. They were putting in four or five goals on a regular basis. Now it's getting tougher, as we suspect. The teams are tightening up a little bit. 
and it's just gonna it's the task the math just doesn't work unless they get on some kind of a huge roll and i just don't know when that's coming uh, here is Travis Green's thoughts uh, following last night's overtime uh, heartbreaker, and uh, this one was a, a kick in the gut. This was an emotional loss, I think, for our group. Uh, we did a lot of good things tonight. That, that's a good hockey team over there. I think we've got them for around 10, 11 scoring chances, which is probably one of our lowest against all year, and they're good. We did a lot of good things, a lot of things I loved in our game. Uh, made a couple of mistakes that you'd probably like to have back. But, I mean, that happens in every hockey game. You know, it just it's not going for our team right now the way, they, the way they're playing. And, um, you know, but that's, that's reality. And we've got to be honest with our game, honest with our team. There's, there, there's the cold, hard facts, right? You know, you, you, when you make a mistake, or at least with this team, when they make the two or three mistakes that they do over the course of the game, as teams do, they're in the back of the net, and unfortunately, that's the difference between a win and a loss, and more times than not, pair. Like, again, you know, we've kind of been saying this really for over two weeks now that the Canucks have played substantially better, right? And they're playing three, four games a week in that two-week span, right? Since they got blown out by the Leafs on Saturday night and there was the exchange with Dem- with uh, Braden Holpe and JT Miller, you look at how this team has responded since then. They've been better in their own end. They've been better collectively as a team, and they still just have two wins to show for in their last 10 games. Travis Green was asked after that question, you know, you make the mistake and you pay for it. Okay, so let's go back to the last line of defense. And he felt that hopefully would probably like one back and hope he said as much. But that is your difference, right? You have to. And, and listen, they're not exactly singing the praise of Jacob Markstrom right now in the week that he has had in Calgary. But you need that timely save. When you do make the mistake, the goalie's there, and then you regroup. And it just didn't come for them in the last couple of games. It didn't come for them last night when they needed it. And that Shifley goal, you watch it trickle, and Nate Schmidt is there, and Nate Schmidt's got such terrible luck around the net, can't get to it in time. Uh, That becomes the difference maker. But how long can you go? You know, I think we played well. You know, the guys deserve they feel better. Well, the fans deserve they feel better too, but they're not getting it. Yeah. You picked up you picked up a loser point last night. Unfortunately, you allowed the Jets to skate off with all four. Here's Brandon Sutter summing up this weekend. I felt like a playoff game. I mean, it was uh, it was intense. So um, disappointing not to get not to get the points for sure. I think uh, you know we've obviously we we feel it in the room. We know we've been playing better hockey in the last two weeks. Here we've been talking about it, but uh, at some point these these moral victories are they don't really count. Um, that sucks. Um, it's got some people already jumping in. Tank for Hughes, right? I mean, that's and that's kind of where the Canucks are at statistically in the standings right now. Like this is a team that is that has a chance at a draft lottery spot and a chance right now, based on the numbers, this team has a shot at a top five pick, potentially even the top overall pick here right now. Pair they've got a they've got a nine and a half percent chance of winning the first overall selection in the upcoming NHL draft. Hey, another Hughes brother. Maybe Quinn Hughes' brother. Maybe this is the consolation of what is quickly turning into a lost season for the Canucks this year. Well, you you played the draft simulator before the show started, and that's the first time we went down that road. It's realistic. I mean, talking top picks, is that more realistic than playoffs? We're getting to that point, aren't we? 
I mean, that, that's where it's coming from. And, you know, another thing, you're getting close. This team is good, and when they're good, they're rolling four lines and they're coming at you. I mean, you had to try and shut it down, and Travis Green essentially did that and played three-line hockey in the third period. Understandably so, but it also shows the lack of confidence that he has in his fourth line right now to being effective. So, yeah, they're trying to mask some issues, but are they closer to a top pick than they are at playoffs? I think we're kind of on that seesaw this week as they get set for Edmonton. Devin, the firefighter, uh, looking at the numbers much differently. Uh, Devin, I appreciate the rose-colored glasses, but um, you know what? Get back to work, brother. Uh, all right, 20 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this Monday morning. As we mentioned, Kevin Biaxo will uh, join us just after 8 o'clock on your Canucks commute. Uh, Juice joins us each and every Monday morning here on Sportsnet 650. Grant Fuhrer, Hockey Hall of Famer, also coming up at 8.30 this morning. Time for some Canucks in a song. Submissions have been pouring in uh, all morning long. Uh, do you want to get the party started here this morning, Pear? Where are you going with yours? Yeah, I will. Uh, tough to watch. I, I just felt that that next goal, that third goal was going to be Jet score to make it 2-1. They're not winning. 3-0, three, three the Canucks will take the lead. I just, hey, we've watched it. It's close. Went with electronic music, a little Calvin Harris. What we're watching is a slide, man. Do you slide on all your nights like this? Do you try on all your nights like this? I might. Put some spotlight on. Simple as that, man. It's been a slide. They've tried to kind of crawl up and entice us, but it's a slide that they can't get out of. I don't see how it changes. My Canucks in a song. What the Canucks are up to. Slide. Uh, slide, yeah. I mean, I think their their playoff chances are kind of slip sliding away, uh, if you will, to uh, to use a Paul Simon. But uh, okay, for me this morning, I'm going a little old school Kanye here. All right, for, for the way that things have kind of played out for this team over the last little while, it's like this team over the last couple of weeks they have these great first periods, right? They they come off to these kick ass starts, and then. It all falls down. And when it falls down, who you gonna call now? Come on, come on. And when it all falls down, man, I promise. I mean, it all falls down, pair. I mean, look at it. Last night, you talk about the turnovers, right? JT Miller has his pocket pick behind the back of the net. Boom, there's Pierre-Luc Dubois. And by the way, how good did Pierre-Luc Dubois look last night? Like, once that guy finally gets some games under his belt, how good a fit is he going to be with the Winnipeg Jets? He seems motivated and engaged out there. And at 6'3", that's a big body up front. Um, It all falls down. They let it get away. The Shifley goal, another turnover for the Canucks along the wall. And Braden Holpe just not good enough last night. It all falls down. Yeah, no, it's fair. Pierre-Luc Dubois, just ask Brock Besser how big he is. I mean, it's just like, shoo, get out of my shoulder. I'm just going to score here. I like that Jets team. They are a very good hockey team, as Travis Green said. But, yeah, it's it's fallen down around them. The, the only thing is, for the first time, and I'll get into it at, at 632, there are, there are three teams now that are in the middle of a dumpster fire in this Canadian division, and I wonder if that opens up some opportunity. But... Yeah, it's falling down around them. Can they fix it against a uh, Edmonton Oilers team that is on absolute fire? It just seems you play Montreal when it might have been the best hockey they've played so far this year. The only thing where you got them going at a, at a decent rate is you took on a Senators team that had zero confidence. I don't know right now if the Canucks are the Senators. Mm, 
I'm not saying there's going to be a series sweep, but it's all falling down. Fair enough, as the Canucks in a song are pouring in this morning. Ronnie, it's text 5650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Go with a little Shania Twain. Okay, so you got a car. That don't impress me much. Yeah. So you got a 2 nothing lead. That don't impress me much. Uh, Jordan, also, uh, this one's summing up a lot of Canucks fans' feelings, I think, this morning after it kind of played out like it did in overtime, but break your heart. Told you from the start, baby, from the start, I'm only going to break, break your, break, break your heart. Yeah, tough weekend, man, because in a lot of ways, there were a lot of things to like about how this team kind of played, but they are a frail group, and I think the numbers just come down to the fact that this team just isn't good enough this year, Pear. It's it's amazing what the mentality does, because, and I go back to Nate Schmidt a couple weeks ago when this team was in the swoon. It's not like they ever pulled out of it, but he said they were so hard to play against. Like, you just knew they wouldn't quit, and yet there just seems to be panic when Somebody scores on them when they've got that one goal lead that they're not sure what they're doing. Where is it coming from? And you saw it last night, that third goal. Okay, who's it coming from? Oh, JT, work harder behind the net. And it's in the back of the net. I'm trying to stay positive, and here's the positive I figured out. At least we don't have to endure 82 games of it because it just seems emotionally from the fan base and the post-game shows, from the text line going in so early in the morning today, it is just so difficult to watch this team because they play well. They've played well coming out of the gates. They have that lead, and you're waiting. It almost seems they're waiting with you to fall, and they did again. And mentally, can you say the same thing after the game? Can you look around and go, you know, we were good, but don't know if they can turn it around. It's not a patch like Sutter says anymore. This has pretty much been the first half of the season. They just can't pick up the points. All right, 26 minutes after 6 o'clock, another text. on If if the Canucks are a good team, what does that make the other 28 teams ahead of them? That makes 28 amazing teams in the NHL. That's what it makes. Uh, All right, coming up in a moment, uh, Sidney Crosby and LeBron James. You talk about an era of social media, the digital age, the hype, the hot takes, and those two continue to exceed expectations. That and much, much more right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Hiya, Bobby. Hi, Ken. Well, we were listening Barbie Girl before you guys asked me to the media, so I was kind of dancing with these glasses out in the locker room, and, and then you guys ruined it, and I had to go answer the question, so I missed the Barbie Girl song, and, uh, you know, who knows what's going to be on when I come back. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Man, whatever it takes for David Pasternak. The Bruins are listening to Barbie Girl. He's lighting it up on the Sportsnet miniseries. 48 hours in Tahoe started Saturday morning, ended Sunday night. You know what, Seaball? I'm looking at those pics of the Bruins walking and what they were wearing to the rink, and I thought, man, that is so you. That is so you, the attire that they put on to enjoy their their weekend in tow. You would have fit right in with some of the gear that they were rocking. Oh, my God. Like some of the great old school throwback uh, one-piece ski suits that uh, a oh. lot of those guys in the fluorescence. No, it was like, you know, total team, total team bonding. But, like, what a mess at Lake Tahoe on Saturday, right? Like just what a mess that, you know, I, I get, like – 
NHL commissioner Gary Bettman. You wanted it. You wanted the postcard picture. I get it, right? But you know, Gary Bettman had this saying um, when he was asked about it. But you know, quote: "You can't have success if you don't risk failure." You know what? That's fine. But don't set yourself up to fail then. With limited time in the midst of a pandemic, you were determined to try to get some sort of outdoor game. You rushed it. You scrambled to make something happen. You deal with the unpredictability of Mother Nature, and it blew up on Saturday. Like, do it right or don't do it at all. But, like, an eight-hour delay for a game? Like, that, they resume the game at midnight Eastern. Think about how many people on the Eastern Seaboard, where the majority of the population of this continent is located, and how many people were sound asleep to watch that? Like, did, did you go back to watch that game on Saturday? Uh, I watched about five minutes, and I thought, why didn't they just do it at this time in the first place? And it's because they wanted that picture. They wanted the people in the boats. That's what they were looking for. I feel bad for Dan Craig, and he's the ice man in the NHL who creates it all the time. But when you go there, aren't you looking at how hot it could be if it's a perfect day and the sun comes out? Can you play? Because what was disturbing about all that was the videos that they showed from that first period with players just hitting a patch and going down, refs going down. I mean, just imagine if someone blows out a knee. They made the right call to get him off the ice and say, we'll do it again. And Eddie Olchek made this point, and it made sense. Listen, a lot of players, the norm is you skate in the morning and then the games at night. That'll have to be the mentality of the Avalanche uh, and Vegas. And they did. But, yeah, they wanted the picture more so than they worried about anything else. And I, I don't know. Maybe the fact that they didn't have fans there, it didn't hurt them as much. Who did they who did they disappoint? Well, the broadcasters, but the broadcasters still got it on. And while the players got the game and it wasn't like a ton of fans were coming there, sponsors still got their shots in. So maybe if you're going to make that mistake, you make it with no one coming. But no, it, it looks stupid on them that you go, okay, here it is. It was sunny like it could be. And you have to stop the game because you're forcing the issue. Perry, so the NHL's chief content officer is a guy named Steve Mayer. He's the guy who was kind of overseeing the whole spectacle, like in charge of running this thing yesterday at, or, or over the weekend. And at one point on Saturday morning, he slipped on a patch of ice and hurt his leg. And to mm-hmm. his credit, this guy, like a hockey player, he worked all day until he finally went to the x-ray tent an hour before play resumed at night. And they found that he had a spiral fracture of the fibula. This is oh. the NHL's chief content officer who turned out he had a, a, a spiral fracture in his fibula. Imagine that's Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, yep. Alex Petrangelo, Shea Theodore, Marc-Andre Fleury. How would that look on the NHL with those with those divots? I mean, that looked like slush. Like, that looked like it, you know, Monday morning last week when we got all that rain that kind of washed away that little blast of snow from the long weekend a week, a week ago. I mean, that's what it essentially looked like on the ice on Saturday during the day. And it's like, look at the mountains and look at all these pine trees with dusted with snow. It looks so pretty, but the ice, oh, nothing to see here. It was a mess. And I wonder if, because I mean, they played at Dodger Stadium, so I wonder if they just assume let's take the, the average temperature of what it would be like in Tahoe. Here's what we need to add. Uh, but you're right. I just think next time there's an outdoor game, uh, the NHLPA might be a little more vocal as to where are we going and why. And they were obviously player safety came first. But it, it was a mess on Saturday. It was still picturesque last night. Uh, the Bruins and how they had their fun and the get up. For a period. It was cool. 
It was yeah. for a period last night because you had to do it at a late day, late in the day because the ice was going to be better at night, but you kind of lose all the mountains. You know what the most picturesque moment was last night? The guy in the kayak with the beer and the dart in his mouth. Nice. Watch, yeah, trying no, to watch that, that nice. game. Yeah. I don't hey, know how Carolyn much Camp- of a visual you can see that either. Carolyn Cameron's going to join us at 7 o'clock. She mentioned something we talked about last week. If that's how you're doing it, if you're not massively concerned about a whole bunch of fans that just want that party atmosphere, then look at Whistler. I know the first place they went to this year was Lake Louise, but because it's a national park, issues with sponsorship in the building. But bring that baby up to Whistler if you want, where the temperature will be a little better than what you're dealing with at Lake Tahoe, where you can still see some of the golf course and see if you can get that done. Because we really haven't had that experience. Say what you want if you went to the Heritage Classic at BC Place. That's not the outdoor game. Bring that baby up to Whistler at some point. I've heard whispers that there's been like waits for three and a half hours up at Whistler this winter for people to try to go skiing. Mm, Got to be smart like the Zabalski. Crazy. That's crazy. Uh, let's get into today's Seaball Sis. He may not be right, but he says it with confidence anyway. But I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Seaball Sis on Sportsnet 650. Two of the best athletes of their generation recently hit milestones over the last couple of days. You had LeBron James becoming just the third player in NBA history to reach 35,000 points, while Sidney Crosby over the weekend played his 1,000th NHL game. And he celebrated the moment with two apples in the win. What's remarkable for both players growing up before us in this digital age and in a world that relies so much on social media, the two athletes have had to endure so much hype and try to live up to expectations, and yet both have actually exceeded that hype and those expectations. It's been a remarkable journey for Sid the Kid, who at 16 was tabbed by Wayne Gretzky as the best player he's seen since Mario Lemieux and suggested that the kid from Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia, had the potential to break some of 99's records. The the 33-year-old Crosby dealt with some serious concussion issues nearly a decade ago, and many of us wondered, actually, if his career might be coming to an end. Remember those days in 2011 and 2012? And then he's proceeded to win, oh, another gold medal, and two more Stanley Cups since. With his accomplishments, I've got Sidney Crosby at number three on my all-time list behind Wayne Gretzky and Bobby Orr, and I have him one spot ahead of Mario. Now, was Mario the better individual talent? For sure. But ask yourself this, whose career would you rather have? Mario's with two cups, Olympic gold and a Canada Cup, or would you take Sid's with three cups and two Olympic golds. By the way, Sid also has a gold and silver from the World Juniors, and Mario has just a bronze. I'm just saying. I'd also add that Crosby has delivered when the game has improved dramatically, especially at the goaltending position where it's never been better. As for LeBron, not only has the king from Akron, Ohio, delivered on all fronts and expectations, he's actually put himself into a legitimate discussion with Michael Jordan as the greatest player in NBA history. Now, while I still lean towards MJ, LeBron has delivered titles in three different cities and will likely be the all-time leading scorer when he finally retires. His off-court actions may not register statistically, but he used his voice and platform at a time many in America and around the world needed him to. He hasn't been afraid to speak up on social issues or dip his toes into political issues, and that's an area that Sidney Crosby has stayed far, far away from. 
The point is this. Two athletes thrust into the spotlight for nearly 20 years amidst more cameras, more opinions, more expectations, and more demand. And both have delivered incredibly. They aren't just future Hall of Famers. They are icons in sports history. And that's this morning, Seabell says. You know, watching Crosby, and we're going to hear from uh, Sid in a second, and no BS, just PS. Watching him, and there's there's this girlfriend with the flowers, and I go, Sidney Crosby have a girlfriend? Like, how has he kept that kind of out of the realm? Not only is his girlfriend, he's had a girlfriend for 10 years who was a Sports Illustrated swim, swimsuit model. Like, Crosby has amazingly, in this country where we want to know everything, just played the game, and maybe we have asked Sid for, God, oh, give us give us a little more, Sid, but... He's just kind of been there, doesn't turn down things, says all he needs to say, and then just go with plays. For LeBron, it's crazy because as much as Sid is World Juniors and that's where we get all the attention from, I can remember watching LeBron play on an ESPN game because we had a feed coming in, and it was the high school game, and I said, what are they doing? ESPN's televising a high school basketball game? So much has been expected, and you're right, and this week, James, for them – Two athletes, the two athletes to hit those milestones, and you look and go, hmm, all eyes on them all the time, all camera foams on them all the time. Not a whole bunch of slip-ups, man. They have been true to themselves, and they have been true to their sport and became the heroes that was expected of them when they were teenagers. Uh, still to come here on Sportsnet 650, Carolyn Cameron will drop by just after 7 o'clock. Kevin Bieksa at 8, Grant Fuhr at 8.30, and in a moment, pair. A little no BS. No BS, just PS. And finally, a week where Ole Olevi can throw a little bit of dirt, maybe, at a guy who's been taunting him for years. We'll give you those details. Coming up, 643 on Sportsnet 650. He always tries to be ahead of the game. Harry was in front. Finding stories that matter, sort of. We call BS. You want I want the truth. It's not BS, just P.S. with Perry Solkowski. Uh, let's get into it after a uh, busy 48 hours. You know, uh, we're watching the game last night, and James and I are texting about it, along with Ed Jovanoski. And Jovo says, hey, you know what? This 48 looks like he belongs. I would say this. For the first time in his pro career, at least for the last three or four days, Ole Olevi probably feels like he's had a better week as a pro player then Matthew Kachuk, after all those years being drafted one spot ahead, Kachuk is taking some serious heat right now in Calgary. Well, I don't really pay attention to that stuff too much. I just hear it from, from people that are close to me, that the, the criticism there and everybody wants me gone or all this sh- stuff that's out there that I'm not playing my best. But, um, you know, they're, they, they loved me once, so um, I just got to start playing better. Yeah, man, that team is taking some heat, and they're throwing it right on him. He was invisible in the series against the Vancouver Canucks a week ago. Uh, he he was at least agitating people on the weekend, even though the Flames were getting beat by the Oilers. Uh, some heat, probably the first time that it's been this much criticism on him since he's been in Calgary, James. Sure, I think it's really the first time that there's been a, a bit of a slump. There's obviously more expectations. He hasn't been dynamic to start the year, but I think the bigger concern is what's what the Flames may have done Jacob Markstrom did they burn him out already right and that seems to be a legitimate conversation with the Flames look we saw in this market and based on the last two results for Jacob Markstrom I wonder if it's more does Jacob need a reset remember that 
I think he needs a reset. Remember that that sort of wording here in Vancouver mm-hmm. the last few years? Markstrom needs a reset. I think the Flames might need to uh, lean on big save Dave here for the next little while. A little bit. He's not getting any time with Ian Clark anymore, so we'll see what happens there. P.S., you mentioned Sidney Crosby. Great weekend in Pittsburgh. Brought to tears, well, at least misty-eyed as he watched a video tribute celebrating his 1,000th game. Uh, a lot of different emotions um, through the day, through those ceremonies before the game. Um, you know, just some awesome memories. Play with some great guys over the years and uh, just had so much fun playing here and it's all kind of all put together in one video. So a lot of emotions, but uh, huge to get the win tonight. You know, we kind of discussed, is it possible Brian Burke goes there? Is there someone that actually pulls the trigger and ends the relationship between Sidney Crosby and the Penguins? I don't think that happens. The best moment was in their warm-ups on Saturday because Crosby has a routine just before warm-up ends. He drops the gloves and ties his skates. With all his teammates skating around in 87 jerseys, they were watching, they were ready, and even Sid said, man, that was a good gag. I appreciated everybody stopping, everybody tying their skates, and that's what you want. Man, that city, that team, and Crosby, a wonderful bond. Will Sidney Crosby be playing at 40? I'll say no. yes. I say yes. No, I think he'll pull a Gretzky, and he'll still put up some big numbers and say that's enough. By the way, shout out to Travis Sajek, who played his thousandth game yesterday for the Devils, and no one seemed to care. Not the right weekend to play your thousandth game, but he, <laughs> he joins Broder, Patrick Elias, and Ken Danico as a guy. Hey, you played your thousandth game. Oh, no, yeah, Crosby. No, 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 I did. No, Crosby did. No, timing, I did. Timing. Oh, Read the room. Man. Read the room. Hey. Timing. P.S. Uh, someone said yesterday, hey, the guy from Twitter won a golf tournament. Max Homa has been wonderful on Twitter, ripping it to people, telling them to send his swing to him. And he would just say, yeah, no, it's terrible. But yesterday, on a course that he went to as a kid, he got the job done and won his second PGA event. Golf is my life, um, but I don't want it to consume me. Um, I want to win. I want to be the best player in the world at some point one day. I want to be the best me I can be, and, and all that kind of comes with being a happy dude. Uh, so I'm just trying to be a happy dude, I guess. This happy dude went to, he said, the tournament probably 12 years in a row as a kid and would always get to the ropes, throw out his hand and hope that Tiger Woods would at least give him the high five. Never really met Tiger until yesterday. He goes, it's crazy. I meet Tiger and he's giving me the trophy at his tournament. Well done by Max Homa. That's a cool story. Finally, uh, this is not P.S. It's P.S. Johnny Damon left it all on the field as a player. (laughs) He'd get handcuffed the odd time by a breaking ball. This weekend, Johnny Damon dealt with the real handcuffs. Jail sucks. Handcuffs are worse. But, uh... uh, What's that? Oh, yeah. Jail's horrible. Yeah. Jail's... And what do you have to say to your fans? Uh, well, hey, John, I, I really can't say much because it's a ongoing thing. Rumbling, bumbling, stumbling, a DUI when he was pulled over. Haven't seen Johnny for a while. See, ball, when you looked at him, it looked like, hmm, Johnny's having some fun. Well, Johnny was, uh, spent a weekend in jail for, uh, suspected for driving under the influence which man it's just such a stupid thing to do in 2021 now why would you even risk it um when you know the risk you know the rules uh especially in today's society but you know i think the the moral of the story is jail sucks 
Jail sucks, and I just I, I don't understand anybody in this time that doesn't even have a harder time for someone who has so much money where they could have their driver. Uh, Johnny didn't look good in the mugshot. Looked like he wanted to talk, and the lawyer was there going, you, you can't do any of that. Just shut up, Johnny Damon. Just smarten up, Johnny Damon. That's not BS. That's PS on this Monday morning. All right, six minutes to 7 o'clock. Uh, the Canucks, another setback last night, falling in overtime to the Winnipeg Jets as the Jets skate off with all four points at Rogers Arena. Up next, it's the Edmonton Oilers. We'll dive into uh, what went down last night at Rogers Arena. Plus, Carolyn Cameron will drop by. And don't forget, Kevin BX at 8 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. And Hall of Famer Grant Fuhr dropping by at 830. All still ahead right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Pedersen takes a shot. Back to Hughes. Back to Pedersen with a drive. He scores! That might be the biggest goal of the year for Elias Pedersen. These guys are here to break it all down. You got to start beating these teams, and we just got to get a bit of a streak going. And that's that's also the beauty of it, too. You're playing teams that you do beat them. You gain points on them every night. So hopefully we've been through the rough patch of the year, and we just got to keep pushing and getting better like we are. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Keep your hands out of my box, please. Okay. <laughs> this is the starting lineup. Here's James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. 7 o'clock, mix of sun and cloud on the forecast today, high at 9 degrees, hour number two here this Monday edition of the starting lineup. I'm James Sabalski, he's Perry Solkowski, Carolyn Cameron dropping by in just a few minutes. We'll also catch up with Kevin Bieksa on your Canucks commute in an hour. Perry, maybe it begs the question, like, are these two-tone jerseys cursed? I didn't think of that. I know you're on the whole can of Sprite thing. Uh, I didn't mind them. Uh, I didn't like them individually in the pictures. I didn't mind them. I, I thought they looked good. Uh, you gave it the old can of Sprite and the fizz with, with uh, Zach McEwen. It was a can of whoop-ass when Zach McEwen showed up in the first period. Yeah, I didn't mind them. You know, a, a lot of people texting in, and please join the conversation. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. I don't know. Are we... Uh, are, people are finding that point. You hear Joey Kenward, who's been doing a great job filling in for Batch with, you know, the biggest goal from Pedersen. Yeah, the goal was important, but again, you, you look at the standings and go, how? You had the Jets here, and they leave with three or four points. Now, to me, Winnipeg's uh, Winnipeg's out of the picture. I've liked that hockey team. I like Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, right now, I don't think you see Toronto. You don't see Edmonton because they've got too much talent to snipe. Uh, Connor McDavid with three points again last night, and they didn't play. And then you got the Jets, right? And I think that's your three teams. My only hope is... What we saw from Montreal, they are struggling. Right now, it is an absolute tire fire in Calgary. But still, you look at the standings and the games played, the math is getting very difficult for the Vancouver Canucks to see a way for them to sneak into fourth. Money Puck uh, right now has the Canucks uh, at an 18.5% chance of landing a playoff spot right now after 22 games. It it does not look good. This week is probably very telling for them. Two games against the Oilers, and then you got two to potentially get back in Winnipeg against the Jets later on this week as well. But look, I I think we've got to start being resigned to the fact that this team just isn't good enough this year, right? I mean, you've got two wins in your last 10 games, despite the fact that I think we would all collectively say, hey, you know what, the Canucks have, have been better. The Canucks have been a better team uh, over the last few weeks, and and it's still not. Uh, and, it, and, you know, what have they got? They got two wins, right? 
They've got two wins in the last 10 games as a team right now. And, you know, that is that is not nothing. In a 56-game season, that's a big chunk of your year. Well, Ben and Sutter said we got to get out of this bad patch. Really? Like, it's not a patch anymore. Um, it may feel like it because, you know, the calendar shows a lot of teams have played nowhere near the games that Canucks have. But it has been such a long slump. And they tried to go there. I mean, even Travis Green, you can look at a game and go, there weren't too many issues. But mistakes were made. And I know you had issues and people did with Holpe on that second goal. But I tell you this, the last guy to touch the puck on the first and the second goal for the Jets, I had JT Miller kind of putting him in tough situations. And it's not like this is, oh, JT Miller was the reason, but it just magnifies every mistake that's made. It seems to be in the back of the net. The timely save wasn't there when they needed. And then it looks like that fragile mindset that was never a part of this team in the bubble, as the trade JT Miller text started coming in, never a, never a you know an issue in the bubble. The fragile mindset is there. It's 2 nothing. You go, next goal wins. If it's the Jets, they're winning this game. The Canucks need three to feel comfortable, and I think that's where they're at right now. You know, in in one breath, you know, you can we can joke about the idea of trading JT Miller, which, you know, is, is silly right now. But at the same time, you know, if this trend's going to continue, I think you have to consider now uh, looking at making some moves from maybe if you can do something at the deadline. It's not Miller right? though. No, it's but but Tanner Pearson is probably the most likely scenario, right? Like there's a name that you've got to look at and say, okay. Um, is this some? Is this a piece that we can move here for? You know, you're going to clear some cap space, maybe get yourself a draft pick. That if, if this is turning into a lost season, which at this point certainly appears that way, um, yes, you have games to go. But you know, in a week from now, you're at the midway mark of the season, right? You know, I, I see that a lot of stories have been done about the quarter poll uh, for teams, but, you know, we're well past that, right? Like, we're almost at the midway mark of this season for the Vancouver Canucks. And Here's the one thing I, I believe after this weekend might occur when I thought it wouldn't, is right now uh, in Calgary, they're up in arms. Uh, they're worse in Calgary than we are in Vancouver about the state of their hockey team. And it's not much better in Montreal because they're going, okay, hang on, is this that team that got into the playoffs because of – win percentage, but maybe shouldn't have been there. Um, and, and James, we've talked about it a lot. Do you make a trade in the NHL with the team south of the border, knowing you got to wait two weeks to fix the problem? Well, you don't really want to trade within your division, but at one point there was the original six and they made trades. So when Calgary's struggling, when Montreal's struggling, is there a conversation to be had with the three teams who are struggling in the North division to go, you know what? I mean, as much as we don't want to, we need to shake something up in our room. You guys need to shake something up in our room. Let's have a little more dialogue than we have in the past. I think when you have people looking for answers and not many options, the likelihood of possibly a deal being made grows a little bit more than it did when everybody's everybody's flying and one team's struggling. Well, you wonder if the the Bennett uh, potential for a trade is, is it possible here now? now? Right? Does, does it increase with a, with a little more of a pressure point uh, with the Flames kind of stuck in the mud so far this season? Uh, let's bring in Carolyn Cameron, uh, who was uh, certainly pandering to her friends and viewers on the West Coast, suggesting an outdoor game at Whistler. I love it, Cameron. <laughs> I love it. Nicely done. I got well that. I got that idea from Rand Deep. He tweeted out some ideas. I guess it was on Saturday, and he said, like, he didn't say Lost Lake, but he said Whistler, Lake Louise, Central Park, which I thought was a nice one. 
Oh, so yeah. you stole ideas and you didn't even give him credit for it. <laughs> well, and and then that's he stole it from us. You, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, that's why you're in Toronto killing it for Hockey Night in Canada, and I'm stuck with Perry. <laughs> well, and we gave that idea to Randeep because we talked about Lake Louise. So it's all it all comes, Carolyn, it all comes back to the guys here, right? It all comes back to us. There's an there's an eye in Sabalski as Carolyn likes to know. Um, Cameron, you've <laughs> done you've, you've, you've done a, you've done a lot of these uh, Canucks broadcasts over the course of the season. Um, what what's not right about this team in your mind? That I like listening to what Perry was just saying. I, I agree. When you look at Montreal and Calgary right now, I'm almost more concerned with their play than I am the Canucks. Like in the last six seven games for the Canucks. I think they've looked good, and a lot of times they've actually been the better team. They just haven't won. And I know Ian McIntyre wrote a good article last night or this morning just about how kind of the time is up for moral victories, and they don't want those anymore in Vancouver. But last night was just another one of those nights where they were playing really good hockey, and they were shutting down the Jets, and we have a 2 nothing lead late in the second, and then you give it up, much in part due to just a really talented and good top line and Dubois coming in. I think that's really tough. I think the thing that I don't think a lot of people are looking at is you can't go one for four on the power play. And you got to, especially in the Scotia North Division, like teams need to take advantage on special teams. And that has not been happening for the Canucks. It hasn't been happening for the Habs. And it hasn't been happening for the, the Flames. And even the Sens, they've been, the Sens are like 0 for 24 now, I believe, on the power play. Like these are just, it's the little things because there's not much room for wiggle room in this division. And the fact that special teams are struggling so much, I think to me, that's very concerning. The efforts now there for the Canucks. Sure. They're not necessarily getting the bounces, even though I thought finally, maybe the hockey gods had changed their minds after the opening two goals and especially Elias Pettersson's tweener. But if, if you're not getting the bounces then you need to take advantage when you have the man advantage. Could you see, though, I mean, it's funny, I, I most agree, they've played quite well since they came back from Toronto, but they've got two wins. Can you see yeah. this team going on a run? Um, I think I can, actually. If you had, like, just based on how they've been playing over the past six, seven games, as I mentioned, I honestly can, and that's comparing it to the rest of the Scotia North Division. And I've been following the Flames very closely, and they are really struggling right now because it's not just their play. I mean, it's their effort that's been questioned and not just by viewers and fans, but by their own coach just a week ago. Um, Montreal is not who we thought they were. And I'm not saying they're going to go to the basement of the division, but there's a team where everything now you realize was going right for them to start the season. And now they're not getting help on their special teams. Their defensemen aren't scoring and they look a little tired and not as fast as they did to start the season. So the Canucks, I know it, it's, um, it's hard to believe just because, Perry, as you said, they're not getting the wins, but they're actually looking better. And I think that's why it's frustrating that they're still not getting those wins. Do I still think they're a playoff team? Not necessarily. I mean, the Oilers are looking so good right now, too, and they're on a run, and they're actually getting depth scoring for once. Um, but I do think the Canucks have something in them, and I'm not, I'm not lost on them. 
Well, I guess it's just how you how you view this team, right? Uh, at some point, like you, Elias Pettersson's hit nine posts this season. Yeah. Right? Leads the league, and, and it's like, okay, so is he close, and is that a sign that – you know the Canucks are losing these close games. You know that's a sign that they're they're right there to maybe turning it around. But I, I guess the only thing is, is it's just such a big sample size that even the last couple of weeks that, you know, the they're playing like the effort's great, right? And you know you, you love it and you, you, they get off to these great first periods. They you know have a huge margin of of out shooting the opposition, but then they still wind up. It's almost like they run out of gas. It's almost like is Mariano Rivera able to close out a hockey game, right? Like they just yeah. don't seem to have that closer mentality here as a team. It's just, I don't know if it's just frail confidence or what it is, but you know, the special teams element you mentioned though, Cameron, I think is, is spot on when you look at where they were a top five unit last year on the man advantage and they're operating at what from 24% last year down to 17% this season. It's just not good enough. No, and if you talk about confidence in a game, if you're not scoring on the power play, I mean, that's going to hurt your confidence, right? If you get a, another goal, then then you're feeling a little bit better about yourself and being able to hold on to a lead. So, yeah, I was I was honestly, I felt relieved to see Pedersen score twice. And the, the between the legs, I'm calling it the tweener just because I know Shorty on the call was saying he looked like Djokovic at the Australian Open. But that one-timer, too, like that was just kind of it sounds silly to say for a young guy, but that was just vintage Pedersen. And when we were watching um, Anthony Stewart, he he mentioned that like he thinks that release is maybe better than um, Austin Matthews, who everyone's having a love in for uh, across the country, but especially in Toronto. Like it was nice to see Pedersen just be vintage and have that shot back and have it not hit a post or the crossbar. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm feeling optimistic and hopeful. I really think it's just kind of a, a puck here or there, a play here or there, a power play goal that could could change things. And, again, I'm not saying they're going to make a run and go to the top of the division, but I'm holding out hope. Yeah, that's the West Coast in you, uh, Caroline. Uh, you know, and, and that, that first power play unit, if they're not scoring the seconds, not even getting much of an opportunity. Uh, Carolyn Camlin joining us. Let me ask you this. I mean, obviously we see you during the Canucks broadcast, but you're doing all of the games. Where's the biggest concern across the country with the games you do? Is it, is it in Calgary right now where Brad Treleving is, is man, I, I don't know if it's blowing smoke anymore. I think he's, he's ready to pull the trigger. He's never been shy on something. Is that the biggest concern in the North Division right now as far as a fan base and an organization? Yeah, I think the Flames are legitimately freaking out. And and that's not just the fan base, that's even the players. Because I'm trying to think, today's Monday. Like, Matthew Kachuk was saying ahead of games against the Oilers, or even at the start of last week, it was he who was saying, this is a really big week for us, right? And then the Canucks uh, win a couple. And then they lose, embarrassingly, on Saturday, 7-1. So this is a team that is not uh, working together very well. Uh, they're admitting that their identity is a little bit lost. They, they, they're just, they're lost and there's a bit of panic. And that loss on uh, Saturday was just demoralizing. And for McDavid to have a hat trick and four point night, like it was just, it was just like beating a dead horse. So I think of all the teams right now, yeah, it's the Calgary Flames that are kind of in must win territory. And then it's like, okay, you lose seven, one, What's up next? Well, you have two games against the Maple Leafs on the road. 
like best of luck to you. So they're, I'm, I'm worried about them. I think they're kind of in trouble and they had, they had such a good start to the season and Jacob Markstrom was everything was as advertised, if not more, they played him so much. Now he's tired, obviously. Um, yeah, they're really in a, a lull and just the fact that it's one thing when we, the media are concerned about a team and talking about it, but when the players themselves are talking about inconsistency and Matthew Kachuk is saying it's the most important week of the season, then you know that in the room they're worried. While we're at it, while we're kind of crapping on every team across the country right now, <laughs> can we just maybe pump the brakes on the Austin Matthews love-in every weekend on Hockey Night in Canada, Cameron? Like, come on. Like, like the way he's – like, he's not Mike Bossy, is he? Is, is he Mario Lemieux? Is he Wayne Gretzky? Like, holy moly. The, the thing with Matthews is he's so improved this year, and I think that's what's quite staggering. Like, he's – the the issue in Toronto was always that the star young guys like Matthews and Marner, they weren't tough enough, right? Like they were sticking their sticks out and kind of reaching, but they'd never use their bodies. This year, Matthews doing it all. Like he's leading in takeaways. He's being physical. He's throwing hits. He, every time he's on the ice, you feel like he's going to do something really special and I don't know if it's just because he got leaner in the off season, but he looks faster. So I think that's a lot of the reason for the Levin is that he's improved and people find that to be a very scary thing. That one time around the weekend though, that was 88 kilometers an hour was a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, it was a little bit ridiculous. My theory, Carolyn, a guy like McDavid, a guy like Matthews, as talented as they are, and a lot of it made that they trained together in Arizona in the off season. Those two guys in their respective markets, more so Matthews, um, are loving the fact that they don't have 30 people with microphones in front of them yeah. every day. Fair or yeah. foul? They Hey, we'll sit, we'll do the Zoom. Probably doesn't have to do it every day, but just gets to go play hockey and the crush of media can't get to him. You think that's part of it? Yeah, I think Perry, it might be because... I've noticed actually with teams just across the league and across Canada that players do just seem a little bit lighter. And even a guy like Matthews is given a bit more thought out analysis and his answers as opposed to just pucks in deep. And we gave it 110% with the cliches. Uh, I think that is part of it. The Leafs too are kind of in uncharted territory where they haven't faced much adversity. I mean, they had one bad loss about a week ago where the Toronto sun cover seemed like it was the end of the world, but otherwise it's, they've just been humming along and they have such a lead in the division that they're just literally having fun and not having to worry about much. But yeah, I have noticed that. I think, I think the zoom availabilities is, have kind of benefited them. And I find for the media, it's tough because you can't be in the room and you can't get stuff off camera from guys, but you are getting more well thought out answers, which I find refreshing. And then it shows their personalities a little bit more too. Like in Toronto, everyone was loving, um, Justin Hall, the defenseman, when he scored, which is something he doesn't do very often, is not expected of him. And then he came out with the line, it was hammer time, baby. Like, stuff like that. Yeah. Hockey, I find a lot of times, kind of gets in its own way and takes itself too seriously. So it's nice just to see guys loosen up a little bit. What After, are you talking yeah, about? You know, said we're no, no, no laughing. Come on. Um, hey, while we have you, um, you're obviously a, a massive uh, tennis fan. Um and you're a big R Fed fan. Are we are we ready to crown Novak Djokovic the goat? No, he still needs to win two more or three. 
But I mean, I think he's going to do it. So but it's going to happen, Joe, right? Yeah, it's going to happen. Djokovic is at 18 now. Nadal and Federer are both at 20. And it's really just a matter of time until Djokovic passes them. Isn't it's, it crazy, though, CC? Like how, how you look at these three guys have all played in the same era and they've all won, like, you know, collectively, like these guys have won essentially a combined 60 Grand Slam events in their careers and they've all overlapped each other. Yeah, I wish I had the number in front of me. I saw it on Twitter yesterday. It was something like they've won 57 of the last, like, 65 or 68 wow. Grand Slams, which is just absurd. Yeah. And then you think if Murray had been healthier too, what would have happened? So it's it's really insane. And the only reason they're all there is because of each other, which is pretty cool. And they've all they've all said that too is is pushing each other and trying to become better. But Djokovic, I think, will lead in terms of Grand Slams. But despite that, as there's always been, I think there'll still be a debate and a case for Federer. Uh, Rafa and Djokovic as to who's the greatest of all time, and that there won't be head to head, which which Federer doesn't have the advantage. That's to that's the only thing that hurts Roger. Yeah, yeah, uh, it hurts. Me. Carolyn, um, no debate on the women's <laughs> side, but uh, we won't get it announced. But after the way she handled her press conference, you think we're seeing a farewell tour from Serena, especially yeah, the way Naomi has handled her. Yeah, I don't know. I'd never seen that from Serena before. And a a part of me thinks she was just really emotional in in realizing that it's still going to be harder and harder to win a slam because she hasn't won a slam since she's um, returned. Yeah, that was that was bizarre. Um, Seeing her get emotional like that, I kind of felt for I hope not. I really do hope that Serena, she's at 23 right now. And I hope that she reaches 24 and just cements that no one else is ever going to be able to do this. And I'm the greatest, even though she already is the greatest. Mm-hmm. I hope it's not her last rodeo, but I'm not, I really don't know what to think based on um, her being emotional. And for those who didn't see, she was asked if she would say goodbye and it would be a farewell to her when she leaves. And she says she doesn't think she would tell anyone. No one would know. And then a question later, she got emotional and had to leave. I don't know. I really don't know. I hope not. Here's the here's the one thing. Here's the one thing though. Her career at the U.S. Open. Yeah, but mm-hmm. the one but thing I would say. Yeah, but I, I would just say that she, she's still good enough to be in a final, right? Like yeah, that's the only thing that maybe, yeah. like maybe she's not as good as Naomi Osaka right now, but she's still better than the majority of the field. Like Serena is still a top ten player. She's a top five player for that matter when she's healthy. So, you know, I don't think. Hey, look. Maybe it's harder for her to dominate to win a Grand Slam now, but she still had finals appearances. She just hasn't won. I wonder this, though, from a woman's standpoint. What's happening? Like, is Bianca going to be a flash in the pan yes, here? hurt again. Like, you know, I mean, Carolyn, we're talking about, what, a year and a half since the U.S. Open, and, and it's it's kind of stop and start for her career. I, I, th- that many injuries for somebody that young. I mean, she's talented, but that's a lot of injuries for somebody that young. Yep, it's definitely a concern. The only thing with the Australian Open this year is I'm a little lenient on players' results just based on how the tournament was under COVID, how a lot of players were in quarantine for two weeks and then had five days to get ready to compete. I was a little concerned. I didn't expect Bianca to go far at the Australian Open, being her first competitive matches in a year and a half. I then felt a bit better when she stayed in Australia and played this tournament, the Phillip Island Trophy. And she went deep in that uh, 
tournament. So that made me feel a little bit better. She made it all the way to the semifinal where she lost. Um, I don't think she's a flash in the pan, but she really has to stay healthy and keep working on her body. And she really needs to string together just some wins and, and match play. Like she's at a point right now where you would consider her a star, but she's going to really, I think want to play in as many tournaments as she can, regardless of what they do to her ranking and regardless of how big and popular the tournaments are, just get matches under your belt to gain confidence and get back into match play. Cause there's, there's nothing like, like players always say practice is nothing like an actual match. So it's it's just a matter of I don't think she's going to be making the semifinals of say the French or Wimbledon um, this year, but she just needs to get matches under her belt, and, that, and then we can reevaluate. Um, thanks for taking up the hockey topic for five minutes. We appreciate that. Nice to talk, Dennis. No problem. Nice. To, yes. Now, thanks, Carolyn. Now appreciate you're talk it. More hockey. Uh, yeah, I think she's going to crap on more pure. Canadian teams. <laughs> <laughs> Take I care, we Cameron. Were, weren't that bad. At least I was nice about the Canucks. Yeah, whatever. For a minute, anyway. <laughs> See you, buddy. Okay, thanks, guys. See you, Carol. Thanks, Carol. Uh, Carolyn Cameron, uh, joining us this morning from Hockey Night in Canada and Canucks Regional Broadcast here on Sportsnet 650. You know, special teams, um, you know, this, this power play that was a difference maker last year. Two things, Pear. You had good goaltending that bailed you out of a lot of games last year and tightly contested affairs. Scott Rintoul kind of broke down the numbers last night on the television broadcast. Um, they're just not winning those games this year. And number two, special teams. You know, it was a top five unit last year. It is way off from where they were last year. Timely saves, timely goals. I mean, it's that simple. And that that top unit, that's the only thing. Like, I'm trying to think we'd have to go back the last time that second unit got a power play goal. And in fact, the shorty mentioned, you know, when they needed that goal, that big unit was staying out there, the number one unit, to see if they could find that goal. And they did. And people texting in, hey, they got that point. It's just, it's fine. It's like I suggested last week. You can enjoy how the Canucks are playing, but don't check the standings because there's no movement, right? There's, there's little movement as to what they're doing. Uh, Calgary's in a bad situation right now. I think right now the hope has to change that maybe Montreal continues with the free fall. And as Travis Green pointed out, we'll hear some of the post-game clips. Maybe it's just bad luck. You make a mistake, it's in the back of the net. But we've heard that for two weeks now. And James, as you pointed out, they've got two wins in their last 10 games. And you can say all you want. You can look and go, they were the better team. That's great. But the, the team that wins gets the points. And the Canucks just can't win right now. 27 minutes after 7 o'clock here on this Monday morning. He's Perry Silkowski. I'm James Sabalski. Uh, hey, get your submissions in. Canucks in a song. What song best sums up the performance of the Vancouver Canucks last night? We hit the music after every Canucks game. Today is no different. We'll play your hits next, right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Dubois across the line, goes in on goal, and he scores! This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Here's your Canucks in a song. Scott in Calgary going with his Canucks in a song this morning on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 that uh, superstitious, thinking that the uh, Sprite jerseys, the uh, reverse retro jerseys, are uh, are cursed. Much like the ones from 20 years ago, those two tones that wasn't a fan then. And uh, Are the green better than the maroon? Yes, but still sure. don't love them. Still don't love them. Don't mind them. Uh, you, listen, it's funny. You play well that they want to wear that the whole time. 
they come and play well, they don't wear suits, then they're going to you know, come casually as it is. Maybe the Boston Bruins will continue to come wearing outfits from the 80s. But I didn't mind the jerseys. And I didn't mind the effort. Like people texting in, yeah, listen, it was a perfect start for the Canucks. Dress Zach McEwen. Zach McEwen answers the bell, wins the fight. You've got the shot of Niels Hoaglander going, oh, this is the NHL. I love it. I can keep on bouncing around there. My guys are protect me. It was another one of those moments that you thought, okay, here could be the team bonding. They played a great 20 minutes. They played a good hockey game. The stats, everything, break it down in their favor, but they leave with one point, one of the possible four when they need it at least. We're always saying win two of three, win two of three. Uh, it just doesn't help the situation when they only get one of four. And, and the Jets leave with a big gap and lots of games in hand. Hey, uh, just uh, while we have a moment here, Pear, for uh, some breaking news out of New York yes. this morning, uh, Larry Brooks from the New York Post reporting that uh, Artemi Panarin is taking a leave of absence from the Rangers in the aftermath of a uh, of a political piece against him from Russia, alleging that he beat up an 18-year-old girl in Russia back in 2011. So um, this is... Uh, now remember, you know Panarin's been very uh, political. He's been very critical of the mm-hmm. Kremlin, um, and uh, and it's interesting because some other people are kind of following up on this story now, suggesting that you know Panarin has been critical of the Kremlin. Uh, but while the story has made some headlines uh, in Russia, it didn't seem like it was getting so much attention as to pressure him to take a leave in New York. So there potentially could be much more to it. Uh, than what we're seeing kind of unfold, uh, unfold here so far this morning. So Artemi Panarin taking a leave of absence from the New York Rangers, uh, which is a huge loss for the Rangers as, you know, hey, the Breadman last year was a, a Hart Trophy candidate and has, has delivered uh, with a huge contract and has lived up to the expectations so far on Broadway. It was probably a year ago from the past summer. I remember we played a clip on this show from Panarin, from an uh, interview done, in Russia, and we played it because as a group who make up this starting lineup, we couldn't believe what he was saying and the courage he had to conduct that interview in Russia and go at Putin the way he did. And you just thought, wow. And, and you know, his family's still in Russia. And you thought, boy, this kid has a, a lot of chops on him. Good for him. Good hockey player. And, and he is one of conviction. But, yeah, Larry Brooks just saying about 20 minutes ago that um, – He's leaving, and you just wonder. Uh, you know, the Russian community in New York is big. We knew that. Um, the pressure that is around him for it to come out. Uh, that's got to be scary because there's a lot of work that would have been done behind the scenes for them to realize the best-case scenario is for him to leave the team right now. Um, yeah, that, that's some really scary news going on with Panarin, who is a great hockey player. And as a, a young man with a lot of beliefs and has not been shy, you talk about LeBron James earlier, he hasn't been shy to speak up about something a lot of people don't want to talk about in his career. Uh, let's get back to some of the submissions here on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Uh, your Canucks in a song, Josh, going with a little three days grace. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that Josh uh, didn't find a lot in the uh, moral victories when uh, your choice of song is "I Hate Everything About You." Um, you know, here's the here's the frustrating thing I think if you're a Canucks fan, right? Because you see another strong start, another two goal lead squandered, and you, you allow the road team 
to skate off with the two points again. And you know what? There was way more urgency at the drop of the puck here in this one pair, but it's just this team just seems to lack that closer mentality. I'd said to someone next goal wins when it was two nothing Canucks, just because I don't know if it's the, the closer mentality or just so fragile that they're unsure and whether it's unsure what they have behind them and Holpe who, who was okay, but gave one up that he shouldn't have. And two that are very questionable. Even the power play, the puck seemed to hit the middle of the net. Um, there's just not that belief in themselves. And they can say all they want about it. But if you can feel it while you're watching the game, you understand they likely feel it on the bench. And it's just a matter of where did that confidence go? Where did that swagger go that you got two, you're about to get three. You got three, you're about to get four. But it turns to be, oh, don't make that mistake. And JT Miller, and he's taking some heat again on our text line, the number lumber text line, 650-650. You know, last guy to touch the puck on that first goal, which changes momentum, makes a, a bad pass to PD, and that ends up in the back of the net, albeit hope he could have made the save. Um, and the confidence just seems to be fragile with this team. And we can talk about they were the better team and have been probably for the last two weeks. They got a couple wins, and that's it. So are they going to stop and steamroll an Edmonton Oilers team that's, you know, McDavid's getting points when he's not even playing? I mean, it's out of control what they're doing right now. I just don't see it happening. I, I can't fault Holtby too much on that first Dubois goal because Dubois is at point-blank range, right? No. And left uncontested. To, you know, that's on Miller, it. man. Now it's on Miller getting his pocket pick. But, you know, if you're going to crush, do you have as much of an issue with Brock Besser turning the puck over along the wall for the tying goal? Well, listen, I, I, I think you can, you can put it on both of them. Like, sometimes their work on the wall isn't as hard as it should be. You know, the angle Brock Besser took for that Pierre-Luc Dubois overtime goal. It's like he just kind of pushed him aside like he was a kid, not a man. Uh, so I, I think there's a fair amount of blame to go around with this team. But it, it stems from a lack of confidence and, and, and hard work and being engaged on every shift, no matter where you are on the ice. Because they just seem like they can't afford to make that mistake this year. When they do, back the net, you're done. Jay Ladysmith with his submission on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. A little ACDC. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. And if you want to uh, really kind of put a number on it, Money Puck this morning uh, with the uh, playoff percentage chances right now have the Canucks listed at 18.5% for landing a playoff spot uh, this season uh, based on where they sit after letting uh, last night get away from them. Uh, they got the Jets for two more later on this week, but up next it's the Edmonton Oilers and this seems to be a much different Oilers team than the one that the Canucks saw at the beginning of the season here with the Oilers having won, I believe it's eight of the last 10 here right now. And uh, the McDavid show, you know, for as much as people have been raving about what Austin Matthews has done, like uh, uh, Connor McDavid with a hold my beer sort of game on Saturday night, the, the crazy thing pair for me, and I'll say this, like Elias Pettersson, and I think I've been critical of Elias Pettersson. And I think a lot, you know, a few people have this year, just, wanting to see more from your best player. And Petey finally kind of stepped up with one of those games last night. Like, you know, the backhander between the legs was just absolute brilliance to be able to pull that off in the first period. Just unreal. And to see that shot come back to tie it up late. But on a weekend that you had 
Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, David Pasternak, Mark Shifley. You know, the stars were shining in full effect this weekend. Elias Pedersen stepped up with one of his best efforts offensively of the season, but he just didn't get the help at the other end from Braden Holpe. You know, this one last night to me, and talk about the turnovers, that's all Braden Holpe last night. To allow two soft goals that you got to stop, man, oh, man. Like that, that overtime goal. Hey, look, you're playing three-on-three. Three. You're going to give up chances, right? The Canucks had their chances at the one end, but at the other end, you know, Holpe's got to make that save. And that Shifley goal, man, in that second period, you've got to make that save. That killed that team last night. That's the one that hurt the most. Uh, I think we have the Holpe clip, too, and, and Balak, let me know if we do because he's not shying away from it. The problem is it's, it's, it's nice to admit yeah, I, I need to be better and that's not about more time with Ian Clark or anything. Uh, Holpe has to make the save at a key time, and it's not like he was coming in on a great angle. You get part of that puck, but not enough. Nate Schmidt's not there to clear it, and that starts to deflate. And if you're weak and fragile and understanding that, oh, no, we, that couldn't have happened, and it did, you can't have that bounce back. Like the hope was you had the bounce back like you did with those two big goals that they had against Calgary, and all of a sudden the next thing the lotto line turns the game around. It didn't. Uh, Greg, do we have Holpe? Here's what Holpe had to say about his performance, and particularly that goal you're talking about, James. They're a pretty good rush team, and, and we did a pretty good job of, of uh, um, limiting it. And, you know, like I said, it's one of those games where you, know, you feel good, feel good about a lot of things, but, uh, you know, this game is a matter of, of plays, individual plays, and that's uh, there's a couple there that, that I need to be better on. I don't know. I don't. How do they feel good leaving that rink yesterday? Uh, not good, man. Like the the moral victory, like it doesn't count anymore, man. You know, this was a team that you were you looked at. It was these. This was a weekend to get you back into the dance, right? And and you know what? They they didn't play poorly. You know, Demko. I mean, I will say this on on Friday night. If that if Thatcher Demko doesn't play the way he does on Friday night, they get blown out of the rink, especially in mm-hmm. that first period. You know, they got back into it. They settled down in the second and third, but you know, there wasn't a lot of great scoring chances on Vancouver's part on Friday night. Thatcher Demko kept them in that game to give them a, a fighting chance to try to get a point there. Last night, the Canucks were the better team, I thought overall, but your goaltending lets you down. Right, your goaltending lets you down. Braden Holpe has played all season with a sub nine hundred save percentage, and it showed last night. Were you surprised that it was Braden Holpe? I questioned going in. I was I surprised thought, well, it was Thatcher gotta... Demko on Friday. You know, I'll tell you what. I thought it, I was surprised it was Thatcher Demko on Friday night, and but and then to go back as you and said, the way he was he great yeah. though. Yeah, yeah, he was great. So if you're going there, you know, have they been too much of the of the tag team? Right? Okay, so you're surprised it's Demko. Demko could not be faulted for the effort on Friday. Do you go, okay, so you got the shooters, you saw them, you had a day of rest, let's go again on Sunday. I was a little bit surprised that they went with Holpe. Well, right? look, I thought, I thought Holpe had a really strong effort against the Flames in that 5-1 victory back on Wednesday night. And so I thought you would have gone back to him on the Friday. Uh, you know, Demko gets the start. I thought he was great on Friday night. And, you know, so go back to Holpe, like, was I shocked? Not entirely, but I think there's a window here to try to run with Demko again and see if, you know, see what you got, because I think you're still trying to find out what you've got at Thatcher Demko here going forward. And 
Uh, there are some signs that he's starting to find his game again. I don't think he's bubbled Demko by any stretch this season, but um, there's an opportunity to run with him. Kevin BX will join us uh, coming up on your Canucks commute at 8 o'clock. Also, don't forget, 8.30 this morning, uh, Grant Fuhr. Hockey Hall of Famer is going to drop by uh, for a conversation with us as well. Uh, 650-650, your Canucks and a song and our submissions. we got lots more to still get to, but uh, while we have a moment, why don't we hit the music for one more? Uh, how about this one? Vance in the loops with this suggestion. The Canucks have been in the danger zone for the last 10 games with just two wins, and that's where Vance in the loops has given us a little danger zone. Top Gun style here on your home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650. is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Here's your Canucks in a song. Oh, I, I should correct myself. Now we've got upset listeners here. Uh, Ian, that was your submission um, with uh, Danger Zone. And Vance in the Loops had Weezers say it ain't so. So um, yeah, they stand both out. Get a can put the daggers and, and the knives and, and the machine guns down here, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll reorganize the DJ turntables here in a moment. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski with you. Uh, Canucks back at it tomorrow against the Oilers. Uh, this past weekend, Lake Tahoe was the, the, the site for the National Hockey League's latest uh, outdoor games. How about this? Off the top of your head, do you know how many outdoor games they have done since they dropped the puck on that Heritage game back in 2003 with the Oilers and the Habs at Commonwealth? Do you know how many games that they've now done? By the way, Grant Fuhrer, who will join us today, 30, likely in that game. I, I can't remember the line. The alumni one, anyway, yeah. Yeah, the alumni one. Um, how many they have done outdoors? Yeah. What, what year did you say that was, 2003? Since 2003 was the first one, and then, you know, they've, they've well, kind of been doing them regularly okay, since 2000. Yeah, yeah, so you're at 17, but then you threw a couple more. I'm going to say they're at about 27. They've done 32 now. Hmm. 32 games. And this past weekend, you know, I, I think the postcard, the picture would have been beautiful. And, and you know what? Hey, it did. Like, before, you know, before the actual puck drop without a game being played with the mountains in the background and the lake, like, it was a spectacular scene. But, man, what a nightmare on Saturday as the sun shines, basically melted the ice, turned the conditions into slush. They only got a period out of it. Look, hey, I get you got to take chances. You got to take risks. But... It looked ridiculous for the NHL to try to pull this off with a nationally televised broadcast at noon on Saturday and then to have to say after 45 minutes, you know what, we're going to finish this in eight hours. Hopefully you'll stay with us, right? Like, that's a recipe for an absolute nightmare. Yeah, Dan Craig is the Iceman who does all that. And you would think, okay, could we do it in Tahoe? Okay, worst case scenario, sun is piping down on us and we're playing at noon on Saturday. You would think you would have the refrigeration in place, likely that ice completely tarp like you would for an NFL game until it's time for the players to hit the ice. 
Like, did they not, were they unable to calculate that in the one hour you'd pull the top off to get a, 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 a skate in, the warm-up in, that it's not possible the sun could be so hot it, it would melt it that quick? Like, it just seemed like they were going after that perfect picture and it'd be damn with what the result was going to be. And maybe this was the safety plan. Hey, if we can't get it in, we know it'll get cold enough at night. As soon as it's dark, they can get it in. Seemed like a misplay. I like the scenario. I like the fact you talk about Whistler now. May as well take it up to the picturesque mountains. Not worry about 70,000 in the crowd. Just go, let's just have a really beautiful setting for it and something unique. I like that part of it. But it was a fail, man. It turned into like a Netflix series that started early in the morning, and you could watch it until late last night. Lupin is what we're uh, binging now, by the way, on Netflix. Lupin? Lupin, yeah. It's a a French series uh, about a... Kind of like a master thief kind of thing. Very well done. There's very, a, cl- very clever. Uh, kind, of, kind of fun. Not too. Uh, we tried to get into your honor, but it was way too bloody the first five minutes for Brendan. Scared her off. So. Lupin oh really? Right I, I finished that. It takes a long time. I'm into your Yellowstone and a new sports uh, comedy that came out with uh, Kevin James is Crew, the crew which yeah. is uh, all about NASCAR. I gave that 20 minutes. I, I'm not a NASCAR guy, but there might be some possibilities there. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll keep an eye. Okay. I'll take it under advisement. Uh, 7.54, your Canucks commute coming up next, and it's Juice on a Monday. Kevin BX joins us next right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. They're not coffee drinkers, but they still keep it right in the mornings. I was uh, trying to make some plays. I was losing too many puck battles. So, <laughs> I mean, we, we have the game in our hands, but we kind of let it go. The Canuck Commute on the starting lineup. It's 8 o'clock here on this Monday morning. James Sabalski and Perry Silkowski kicking it with you. Kevin Bieksa will join us here in just a few moments. A uh, reminder that hour number three here of the starting lineup is a presentation from our good friends over at Surrey Honda. Visit Nasir and the gang over at Surrey Honda, located at 152nd and Fraser Highway. Surrey Honda, where you'll find quality and community. Um, quality? Eh... In spurts for the Vancouver Canucks, just two wins now in their last 10 games, despite the fact that I think most people would say that this team has played better over the last couple of weeks. They're just not getting the results to show for. And over the weekend, in uh, in meaningful games, a, a team that you want to try to catch in the standings got far, far away from the Vancouver Canucks this weekend as the Jets get four out of a possible four points, while the Canucks are left with just one measly one do the math, and it doesn't look good for this team trying to jump back into the playoff race anytime soon when you look at all the games in hand, Pair. Well, and logically, our poll question is pretty simple. Do you think this Canucks is a playoff team? The Canucks are a playoff team, and 91% of the people say no. It's uh, You know, you can look at the games as a whole as 60 minutes and period by period and and kind of be, yeah, they've, they've played some pretty good hockey over the last couple of weeks, but, you know, we'll get Juice to join us momentarily. You know, my question simply is, if you Talk that you think you've played well um, and talk about maybe bounces not going your way, whatever you have. But if you think you've played well and you leave the rink without a win, does that mean it doesn't matter and it's simply that you're not good enough? Like, are they missing a piece to get them over the hump right now? To me, it appears that way because I think they have played well. And is it something they can turn just mentally? That's the difference of this team winning and losing. Uh, they just might be missing a piece or two. Some people in the text line going, if it's not the top line or the top six, when are they getting occasional goals? They get them from Sutter yesterday. They've been getting it from the blue line. 
But you see the Oilers on a roll, and as much as you talk about Connor McDavid, they're all of a sudden getting some depth scoring, and that's going to help anybody's situation. The Canucks don't get that. Well, let's uh, let's bring in the big man as he joins us uh, each and every uh, Monday morning at 8 o'clock, uh, Kevin Bieksa, a presentation of our good friends over at Andrew Sherritt Limited, your heating and plumbing wholesaler, uh, proud BC-owned company since 1890. Juice, where do we find you today? It was Kentucky two weeks ago. It was Texas. How did you even get out of Texas, or are you still stuck in Texas for that matter? No, thank God I'm not. I'm back in California, and I – after I talked to you guys, I just had a hell of a day. Get it? We we end up going to the airport, renting a car. There's uh my, my whole family's there. Like I said, my good friend and his son. So six of us driving this car, and we just start heading west with no plan. So we drive in thirty <laughs> mile an hour. Thirty miles an hour isn't very fast for five no. hours. Get stuck in stuck in a ditch, and then I got to get pulled out by some cowboy. And I say, hey, listen, like I'm embarrassed. I'm Canadian. Like I shouldn't be getting stuck in in the snow. He goes. Oh, I could tell about your Canadian. Don't worry about the accent. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I work with a bunch of oil riggers that are Canadian. Don't worry. I won't tell them that I pulled some Canadian out of the ditch. So we, uh, we ended up making our way west, and we had nothing open, no grocery stores, no fast food places, and we ended up eating our first meal at about 5 p.m., which was a, a gas station. We went in and got all the Doritos and chocolate bars we could, we could find, and that's what we ate for dinner that day. So, it was so tough, where, tough day. where did – where did it end? Like, where was the destination? Did you drive all the way back to California, or how did it end? Well, we we got to El Paso, which is right on the Texas-New uh, Mexico border. So we stayed in El Paso for the night. That took us all day just to get there because we were driving so slow. And uh, we stayed the night there, and then we woke up the next morning, and it was everything was fine from, from uh, like, out west after that. So it took us two days. but uh, and, and keep in mind, I just drove back, right, from, from Toronto. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of time in the car, but it could have been worse. Like we had people that ended up staying and trying to rebook their flight, and they and they were stuck there for three four days. You know, I I appreciate and I respect the fact that you owned up to the fact that as a Canadian you got stuck in a ditch in Texas. You know, you know what happened? Uh, Accountability. I was, I was driving. I, <laughs> you get a little confident, right? So I'm like, ah, I've lived in Winnipeg <laughs> for two years. I could drive yeah. in the snow. So I'm driving behind these cars to the airport. They're going slow. So I'm like, oh, there's some tracks in the in the faster lane. I'm going to go in the faster lane. So I go in the faster lane, the tracks, everything's going great. And all of a sudden, the tracks just disappear. So I'm like, oh, crap, they're disappearing. So I try to get back into the, the center lane. And the tracks just turn into the grass and then spin, 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 sucked in. I'm like, oh, this is embarrassing. And you so, were driving. I was, yeah, I was driving. And then the cop that pulled over after, he was from Buffalo. And he's, and he's like, what are you doing, bud? And when I told him I'm from Niagara, and he's like, I'm from Buffalo. And, he, and he's oh, like, I'm embarrassed go. for you. Now, you are a laid-back guy. Is everybody traveling in the van as laid-back, or are you getting chirped? No, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting it from my wife, my buddy in the back, who's a California guy. And No, they're not chirping me, but they're definitely not trying to console me right they're they're laughing at me like it, we, we weren't in any danger it was just uh we just started our journey and we knew how long of a trip it was going to be it was just a, it was a tough way to start because we're like, how long are we going to be stuck here and then some awesome cowboy stops by and pulls us out he was he was our hero this feels like this is the, the makings for another sequel for ice cubes are we there yet movie starring a special guest kevin bxa mm-hmm. like a new yeah. a new buddy deal hey uh, tell me this um 
we've talked a lot about what ails the Canucks and, and the, 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 the potholes or the stuck in the snow, if you will, for the Canucks this season. But are, are we maybe just coming to the realization that this team just isn't good enough? Well, it just it seems that way at times, right? Like the, the moral victories are just uh, not good enough anymore. And, and I'm just looking at the standings. Like they just, they're just slipping and slipping. There's so many games in hand on everybody. And they're, you know, with the game, the games in hand that Winnipeg and Montreal have, if they win those. Like the Canucks aren't even close to, to getting back in. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a tough season for them. And like I said before, I think on your show is expectations were pretty high with the way last year went, but, Salary cap era strikes again, and uh, you know he couldn't afford to Foley, and look what he's doing right now. Couldn't afford Markstrom. Look what he's doing. Uh, Tanev is Tanev. He's always going to be great. So it, it's it's a bit of a like it's a mini rebuild because you, you hope to add guys to replace them and 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 keep going on the same trajectory, but it's been a step backwards. And now it's the more you lose, the more it becomes. Contagious or easier to lose, if that makes sense. Like when you're winning, everything feels great, and you feel like you're gonna you go in every game thinking you're gonna win. And then when you're losing, you're thinking, how are we gonna win this game? So I, I know it's hard for them, and it's uh, it's tough to watch because they still have some pretty special players, right? Do you, do you come to a point, Kev? And it's different with only Zoom media sessions. But, you know, we heard from Pettis and we, we heard from Sutter. Do you come to a point where you kind of click in and as a player you give the standard answer, but what you're saying, oh, we're close, you know, we've just had some bad bounces. You come to the point where you're saying it, but you're not necessarily believing it? Yeah, maybe. Maybe a little bit. I'm sure there's frustration in that dressing room. Like, they had chances to win that game yesterday, up 2 nothing. Um, You know, when you're feeling it, you, you two-goal leads, you, you shouldn't be squandering those. So, I mean, and then they get back and they score a goal with, uh, to tie the game late. And uh, that's just one of those games where you need to kind of squeeze out that overtime win somehow. And I just think, well, the, the overtime goal, like, like it's best or playing defense, right? And you just can't have, you can't have forwards exposed on three-on-three all by themselves. Like, even if you're... you're like, Quinn Hughes kind of looked like he eased up and he's like, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the second guy, Mm-hmm. Matthew Scott, Dubois, and, and you just – I think I showed up before last year in a clip. When Whenever you're the only defenseman out in three-on-three, three, you have to assume that it is. It is a mismatch. Whenever it's against another forward, it's a mismatch because forwards don't put in the reps. They, they can't transition like defensemen do from backwards to forwards. I don't care what you, what you say. So it's, it's very easy to beat a forward wide, and it's just unfortunate that happened. And uh, – on the flip side, it was a great game for Dubois, something that he probably needed, right? Well, well, tell me this: like, how do, how do you like how do you like his impact in that lineup? Like, I mean, here's a guy who's still got to get acclimated to this team, right? He's only got what that was only his third game because he wound up missing so much time. But I mean, how good a fit is that for this Jets team uh, going forward here? Well, he he's another guy who's had a lot of question marks and a lot of people questioning his character and everything with the way the trade went and, and that shift. And and then he goes through a couple injuries, which he, he, he claims he's never really been injured too much in his career. He played 240 games straight. And he was kind of chomping at the bit to get to play this game last night. And, and then he comes out and he has a game like that. Like, that's, that's huge for Jets fans because I guarantee you, and 
in the back of some of their heads after the first game or two that he played and, and the trade and the way everything happened, I, I guarantee you in the back of Jets fans' minds are like, oh, God, did we just get hosed on a trade? And then he comes out and he plays a game like this, and they're like, okay, this is this is who we got for line A. Like, this, this might make sense. This might be good for us. So that was a huge game for him to kind of endear himself to the Jets fans, I think. Uh, as we try and find a positive in what we witnessed here in Vancouver last night over 60 minutes, does Zach McEwen deserve to be in this lineup on a regular basis? Coming in, answering the bell for the teammate, and he still shows energy when he plays. Do you need that guy in the lineup constantly? Yes, 100%, especially when they're playing the way they are now. And and uh, I, I think you always need a guy. Like, I, I'm maybe a little bit of an old-school thinker that way or a traditionalist, but I still think you need a guy like that that – he can play the game. He's got good hands. He's big. He can skate. He can be physical. So forget about the fighting. Like you need a guy with just size that can skate and be physical. And then on top of that, he's, he's a good fighter and he'll fight anybody. So I don't understand why you wouldn't have that guy in the lineup every single night on the fourth line, right wing, or at the very least, or you can move him up depending on how he's playing or what you need. But, um, it's just amazing hockey players that, that they go out and McEwen had nothing to do with the Hoaglander scrum the other night. And he comes in the lineup and he's like, I'm getting retribution for my buddy, even though I wasn't even on the ice or anywhere around it. It just shows you how, how cool it is to be a hockey player in the bond. And, and then you see Hoaglander on the bench, uh, like laughing and smiling the whole fight. Like it kind of oh. gives you like, like it gives you like a little bit of the shivers thinking about how cool that is. Like just like sticking up for each other and having each other's back. And he gave him the one jackhammer on the top of the head when, when four of went down, I was hoping he would give him another one for me. Cause I always wanted that four bit guy and he would never fight me. I wanted him to give him one more jackhammer on the top of the head for me. Oh my God. Listen to you. Like what you played one too many mortal Kombat games, right? Finish him. Um, oh, that's hey, exactly what it was. I well, one time I chased Forbit around the ice and I said, we're going tonight, big boy. And he goes, why? I go, well, you're the biggest guy on the ice. Like, what do you mean? Why? And he, and he's like, we're not, and we had like a conversation before the puck was dropped in LA. I'm like, so what's the answer? Like, I'm confused right now. And he go, like, he made me think we were going to fight. And then he backed away and he, and he went back to his point. And I'm like, what's the answer? And he's like, no. And I, so then Clifford came on. I ended up fighting Clifford, but it was, it was confusing. Like, I always wanted a piece of that guy. Well, throw me, uh, humor me on this. And, and I'll, I feel like I'll probably take a lot of grief for this uh, here, but you know, I guess you love the fact that Hoaglander's willing to just go all over the ice like a little buzzsaw out there. But when you're that size and you go and hit somebody who's six foot four, two 220 pounds, is there not maybe a, well, don't poke the bear, right? Like, you know, everybody was up in arms like, oh, well, why would you do that if you're Derek Forbort? But there's a little bit of like let a sleeping dog lie sort of mindset around ho- the hockey community, like a fair or foul. No, Forbit's not a bear. First of all, he's not like a big, scary bear. You're not like no, he's not a fighter. Yeah, no, he's not. He doesn't even play that that hard for a big guy. But I think you need to have a team where guys like Holglander can go run whoever he wants, and there's exactly. no consequence. Like you look at the Anaheim Ducks that won the cup in 2007. Getzlav and Perry did whatever they wanted that year. Andy McDonald and Timu did whatever they wanted that year because they had all the tough guys behind them, and that's. That's a little bit of like the philosophy of having a, a bottom, a bottom heavy, tough team is, is that your, your guys, Pedersen can whack a guy if, ever, if he wants to, you know, like JT Miller can, can rough up some guy and not worry about having to deal with uh, Ryan Reeves or, 
somebody that's a lot tougher than him. And, and that's why you need a guy like McEwen in there because you want your guys, especially your little guys, you want them to play big and you want them to have courage. You want them to have, you know, no fear in going after guys like Forbot. So I, don't even, I still don't even know how to say the guy's name, but uh, it just bugs me saying his name. For, but, Forbot, uh, I like it. I like it. Forbot. What, whatever. Forbot. Robot, whatever the hell his name is. <laughs> Uh, Kevin Bieksa joins us as he does every Monday. Juice, let, let's go around the league. Uh, obviously, we're working Saturday night. Uh, we we lament what's going on here in Vancouver. At least they've played decent hockey in the last two weeks. What about Calgary, man? Are, are you surprised? You talk about, you know, getting guys' faces and maybe playing a little meaner than they have. Are you shocked at what the Flames are doing right now? Because they seem lost. Yeah, a little bit of an identity crisis and, and just a lot going on in that room, right? With the team, uh, players only meeting and the Bennett stuff. And uh, they seem like they played really hard, though, on Saturday night. And, and unfortunately, Connor McDavid just took over. And he it's funny, he had a, he had such a quiet first period. Uh, I barely even noticed the guy. And then you look at the score sheet after, and, and it's he's got three points. He's got a goal and two assists. And you're like okay, well, you know, the puck kind of fell, followed him a little bit. And then the second period, he just totally takes over and he's the best player on the ice. So uh, this Canadian division's tough, guys. Like, you, you look at Calgary, they got Toronto now. They're in Toronto playing them tonight and then Wednesday. And Matthews and Marner, I don't know if you watched that game against Montreal, they're, they're playing probably the best that they've ever played in their career right now. So that, that's another scary duo that they have to deal with. So you got McDavid, you got them. It's just a tough, tough division right now, and there's, there seems like there's no breaks until you get a chance to play Ottawa for a couple games, and even Ottawa's starting to play better now. So, you know, Calgary's not their schedule's not getting any easier in the in the short term. They got back to backs with Toronto, and then they play Ottawa, I think, for three. But uh, they have they have games in hand. That's the thing. If they can get their stuff together, they do have games in hand, and they can creep their way back into this playoff race. Um, I, I guess it sounds like. They're just trying to figure out where to build the statue in Toronto for Austin Matthews right now. <laughs> um, do you do you agree with all the love that Matthews is getting right now with what he's done this season? Yeah, I, I do. I do agree with it. And, and I watched him really closely in playoffs. And uh, I, I was just so impressed with how determined he was. And even when he wasn't super productive in playoffs at times, he, he was just I, – I didn't really watch him and Marner too much. Like, I played against them, but you don't really ever watch guys you play against. And then at my first couple of years, I wasn't playing. I didn't really watch any hockey at all. And uh, and then I've really watched him the last year and a half, both of those guys. And, and Marner is everything people say. He's, he's super high hockey IQ, sets up everyone around him, controls the game when he's on. And Matthew, so, for how, how big and, and strong and his shot's probably the best in the league, He's a pretty hungry, determined guy. Like he buzzes around and he he wants to make a difference every shift. He's not, and I mean this in the most respectful way. He's not Ovechkin in the sense that he kind of just floats around at times and just you know waits for his chance to let his, his shot go. He's buzzing around and he's trying to make stuff happen. He's got a little bit of that, a little bit of that Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon. Screw you! I want to be the best in the world. He's got a little bit of that attitude, and because of that. He, he's he's just he, he's getting better and better and better because you you could tell he wants to be the best and he's feeling it right now like his shot is feeling it and and his whole game is feeling it but he deserves all the uh, the accolades he's getting right now. But do we you know I always go back to Travis Green saying he probably played six years in the league before he he understood so many things. Do we 
Do we sometimes not give Austin Matthews that benefit that the more you play, the more you lose, the more you learn? Yeah, of course you do. You should be getting better every season. And um, I know for a lot of players, it's the opposite. <laughs> but you should be getting better every season. If, if you're a person who has the right attitude that you actually want to learn, I can't remember who said the quote the other day. I can't remember who it was. It was from a really good player in the Canadian division. And he said, listen, if you want to learn and you want to be open to criticism and open to coaching, like you, you can get a lot better because there, there's some, there's a lot of people dissecting a lot of different areas of the game. If you're open to it, you take it. I think it was Shabbat. It was Shabbat in Ottawa. who had a terrible start to the season and it started to kind of find his game before getting injured. But if you're open to criticism and open to coaching, uh, you should be getting better every game and every year because there's a lot of people around these players that are trying to help them. It's just some people put up that brick wall and you know what, maybe even I was guilty of it at times. I felt like later in my career, I don't know, it was a combination of maybe me thinking, well, this coach doesn't really know anything more than I already know. Or it was a combination of them being maybe a little bit intimidated, like, Oh, he already thinks he knows that I can't come to him, but being, being coachable. uh, and, And it seems like Austin Matthews is coachable because He's constantly looking at different ways for his shot, his release. He's on the ice early with skilled coaches and shooting coaches, and that's that's the way of the future. Be coachable. Uh, Kevin Bieksa here on Sportsnet 650, a presentation of Andrew Sherrod Limited. Um, the story about uh, Artemi Panarin coming down this morning, he's taken a, a leave of absence. Have you seen this at all? I have. I don't want anything to do with this story, guys. Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. I mean, what, do you, what do you say about it? Like, it's, it's crazy, and it's it's not our culture for most of us. And I don't know. What do you, what do you say? You just, you hope it's not true, but there's, there's not a whole lot I want with that story. So, so no, tell me this true. then, uh, Sidney Crosby plays his 1000th game. Do you have a Sid story at all from, uh, from your time being on the ice with him? Yeah, I, I have a story. Our first year, we almost got into a fight. Really? Sid and I were, we're, yeah, we're in Pittsburgh and yeah, there, he had all the recognition. He was the first overall pick and it was early in his career. And you guys remember early in his career, I don't know if you remember, but he was really feisty and he was, yeah. you know, like he, he had that, like that chip on his shoulder and he was kind of angry and, and they weren't, Pittsburgh wasn't a great team out of the gates. And I'm sure he was a little bit frustrated with not winning. And, and he used to get into like scrums after whistle. So we're in front of our net and he's digging at the goalie. I can't even remember who it was probably like Alex all, and I kind of grabbed him just, you know, I grabbed him around the neck a little bit just for him to stop digging and, you know, thinking I'm not going to rough this guy up too much. Like he's 18. I was probably like 24 and just dusting middle age back then. But uh, he kind of gets, <laughs> gets up when he pushes me in the chest and I'm like, stop it. It's like when you're like your kid gets old enough to fight back, you're like, stop it. And then he pushes me again. I kind of grab him and bulldog him a little and throw his head off. And he just keeps pushing me and, like, coming at me. And I'm like, stop doing this. Like, I don't want to have to fight you. So it, it was funny how – because my dad was at the game. He drove to Pittsburgh. And he was like, are you going to fight that kid? And I go, no. Like, I don't think so. But it was almost like the Federoff situation. You're like, no, 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 no. And then you're like, yes, 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 yes. So it, it, I'm lucky it, did, it didn't get to that point. But but Sid, uh, on, a, on a softer note, Two years ago at the All-Star Game, I think it was three years ago at the All-Star Game in, in San Jose, I was working at a sports set. I was on the bench for all the games. And then after the last game, the finals was over, uh, the Metropolitan ended up winning it. As soon as the game was over, dropped my head, my, my headset, I'm gone. I'm getting out of there. I'm going to get my clothes, find my son, and get out of there. 
didn't even know like what happened with the MVP. And I'm walking past the uh, visitors' dressing room in San Jose, where where the team's already in there celebrating, and, and Sid's walking by himself because I guess he stayed on the ice to win the MVP. And uh, he walks by me, and I'm just like, "Hey, Sid, what's up?" And just figured he'd say like a hello and keep going and go into the dressing room and celebrate with his team. But he, but he stops and he he honestly has a five minute conversation with me about. Oh, how was how was Spengler Cup? Did did you like it? How was it? Like, what was the city like? And how you he like loves hockey, doesn't thing? he? Yeah, like he just oh. loves the sport, doesn't he? But he's just such a genuine guy. I'm I'm thinking like, what do you? Didn't you just win the MVP? Like, go celebrate. And he <laughs> but he was more concerned about like genuinely what was going on with me. And I was just kind of laughing. I'm like, yeah, man. Like, um, it was good. It was fun. There was a lot of snow there. Like, <laughs> we lost in the finals. It was cool. <laughs> yeah, the guy never makes a mistake, it seems. Hey, uh, is your wife for the win with the Vern Fiddler in the mantle, or did you think of that one? No, that's all my wife again. She's pretty yeah, witty. Nice play. Oh, very awesome. good play. And Michael Jordan, yeah. too, right? Are, were you a Jordan guy as a kid? Jordan's been there. We're, we're a, yeah, I'm a huge Jordan guy. We're a Jordan family. All of us, we all have our Jordans, and we uh, that's all we wear. Jordan's, will... uh, Mike, Michael Jordan's son, Marcus, who runs uh, – a company that collaborates with with Jordans. He he said this once uh, to a friend, and I always remembered it. Whenever he he meets somebody, he looks down at their shoes right away. And and ever since he said that to me, now I'm always like very very cautious of what shoes I'm wearing <laughs> because uh, shoes shoes tell a lot about a man. So think about that, guys, when you're leaving the office uh, or the studio after, and just you're just staring at people's shoes all day. There's an incredible story. Um, you know, Jordan just turned 58 last week, um, but I was talking to uh, Vic, the longtime doorman of the Roxy, uh, recently, and he shared a story about the night that Michael Jordan was at the Roxy and the place went ballistic. I'll save it for another day, but it's a pretty yeah. epic tale when Michael Jordan invaded Vancouver. Where were you? Were you hanging out in the bathroom? What were you doing in there? In in 90 it would it would have been 96, so I wasn't quite here yet. But yeah, I was probably loitering with a roll of toilet paper saying, "Hey, <laughs> can I help you out there, Mike?" Yeah. Sure. Oh god. Thanks, care, Juice. Man. Appreciate it, man. Okay, guys. Talk soon. See you, Kev. There he is. Uh, Kevin Bieksa joining us every Monday morning. Uh, today, no different, a presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited. And from one rock star, we go to another. Uh, in a moment, Hockey Hall of Famer Grant Fuhr joins us next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Here's your Canucks in a song. Chris and Surrey, maybe with the win of the day for this selection here. Shout out to the original Road Warriors who come to the ring to this. But uh, Iron Man, named after Elias Pettersson, who's now got nine posts on the season, Perry. Well done. Well done. And, he, and you know when he hits the post, it's right at the junction, right? Goal post meets crossbar. A part of it, I think, is perfectionist, right? Just... He needs to make that perfect shot. Rings one off the post, rings one off the mask, and then puts it exactly where they need it in the dying minute to at least get them to overtime. But, yeah, good call. That's a win. Iron Man is a win uh, with Chris. Well done. Uh, very special guest. I'm very pleased to be uh, joined on the line. But when I was a kid, man, this was my guy in goal. This was the guy. He was too cool for school. Man, you talk about big moments and big games. Hockey Hall of Famer and former Calgary Flames great, Grant Fuhr. <laughs> Grant, how are you, sir? How are you doing? 
I'm good. How about you guys? I'm good. How many people just associate you with the Flames? Probably very few, right? I'm going to go with maybe one or two. <laughs> <laughs> one or two or family members. Uh, Grant, thanks for joining us. As an Edmontonian, uh, I watched it all the way, lived it with you. Um, it, you asked me this. There's an article going around in The Athletic about it's easier to play goal now than it would have been back in your day. Agree, disagree? Um, in a sense, I agree, and in a sense, I disagree. I, the equipment-wise would make it easier, and the no traffic around the net would make it easier, but everybody can shoot the puck now. So that would probably make it more difficult. So it's a little give and take. Uh, Ken Dryden recently had an article uh, last week about how the equipment and the size of the goalie have kind of really have ruined, uh, you know, essentially are ruining the sport. Um, I don't know if you'd seen the article, but, you know, the way that he's kind of talked about the the size of goaltenders and just the, the equipment to it now has really kind of made it a problem where, you know, other leagues and other sports have adapted with rules. You know, the net stays the same, but the goalies are getting bigger. Do, has it become a problem in your mind? I, if you look at the scoring this year, I don't think it's been a problem. But yeah. at the same time, yeah, goalies are getting bigger, but they're also becoming better athletes. So they're keeping up with the game. I mean, as forwards get better, goalies are getting better. But the equipment grows, and the reason it grows is because it's so light. If it's light, you can wear it bigger. So... As, as long as they keep the weighted equipment down, it's always going to get a little bit bigger. How did you get better? Because you know, you've been a goalie coach. We sit here in Vancouver, talk a lot about Ian Clark and him working with Braden Holpe. We watch Jacob Marks and we go, well, I wonder if in Calgary he'll miss his goaltending coach. When you were rolling, who did you – I mean, I don't think there were goaltending coaches in Edmonton. Who was your back and forth with, or was it just you on your own looking at tape or, or slats or someone – making suggestions how did you improve uh, you know what just by playing learning the game and back then we didn't have goalie coaches but i was lucky enough to have ronnie low my first year and ronnie made a big difference i could bounce things off of him and then i always had good partners so it was always guys i could talk to and you talk to your defenseman and you, you learn as you go i mean my first three or four years i just relied on reflexes and then as i played a little more i learned to read the game better and the better you read the game, the faster you look. So it's every year you're trying to add something new. You look at where you're at. Grant, if you're with us here on Sportsnet 650, um, you know, you were a guy who I think under six feet tall, right? I think you were listed as, what, 5'11 or so? Or, um, I might be a tall 5'10". 5'10 <laughs> on a good day, right? 5'10 but, but with at, hair, how's that? <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. I'll give you that. Um, but you look at your from your – do you think you would have even gotten a, a sniff or a shot um, at the game now, when you look at everybody's a Clydesdale now, like you know, Vashlevsky is six four, six five. You know, Carey Price is six three. Do you think you would have even gotten consideration in today's game now as a goaltender? Uh, you know what? Probably not. But the funny part is, I still think it doesn't matter what the size of the goalie. Either you can play or you can't play. And with the way the game's going, you're going to see more and more athletic goalies getting chances and getting looks now. So you're going to start to see some guys again in that 5'10", 5'11", range that are very athletic. So I think it's going to change back a little bit to the way it was because the big goalie that just takes away an angle now, is they're starting to catch up to that. Can you see a young goalie and, and just from watching, having playing that understand 
he understands the game or he's he's playing off reaction and you go give this guy two or three years to figure things out with angles he'll be better can you sense that like people will talk of defensemen he'll make that mistake he's going to see better do you see that in goalies you do i mean i know when i sit and if i watch kids play you can tell how they see the game how they react to the game so you get a pretty good idea as to whether they can play or not I mean, a lot of times it gets lost where they'll look at a goalie's eyes oh, too small and they don't even look at him. I look to see how he moves, see how he reads the game, see how he reacts to the game. Who's the guy? Who, like, who's your favorite goaltender right now that you love watching? Who's the who's the, who's the guy you like the best? I'm still a big Carey Price fan. Yeah, and I still I think right now he's probably still the best in the league. But there, there's a lot of guys that are good now, and I think every team has a good goalie. Do you need two? You played 75 games. You played 79 games. We've talked about this condensed 56-game schedule. Carey Price will be better because he has Jake Allen. Do you agree with the fact that goalies can't shoulder as much work as they did back in your day? I think you can in a normal season, but you're playing 56 in, what, 120 days, give or take? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot tougher. I mean, if you get on a roll, yeah, you can play a lot of games, but if you hit a little bit of a rough patch, you still need to work the bugs out in practice. So it, it's teams that have two goalies are going to be better off in the long run. Grant, it is uh, February also is, is Black History Month, and it's it's hard to believe. It's We're talking almost 40 years since you broke into the National Hockey League with the Oilers, which is kind of crazy to think, but... We had Claude Vilgrain on this show uh, about a week ago, and and Claude broke into the league closer to you know the early '90s, uh, late '80s, and he talked about a lot of the challenges that he experienced and endured, you know, as a young player where there weren't a lot of black players in the NHL at that time. You know, from your standpoint, what was your journey like, and was it much harder for you, you know, especially as a goaltender at that point as well? Can you share any of your experience? You know what, I think I got lucky. I mean, growing up at Edmonton, it was all about whether you could play or not. And by that time, obviously, Willie had played, Mike Marson, Bill Riley, Tony McKegney. So guys had already broken in. So I had a little bit of an easier time. Plus, I wore a mask. So one, you're kind of hidden. But two, I happened to grow up in a good situation. You think so that made a difference wearing that. a mask, Grant? You think it made a difference? I think it did. Because, yeah. Yeah, I think it did. Because as a goalie, they look at you whether you can play or not. I think that's the biggest thing is probably the position I played. Did it uh, did it change for you when you left Edmonton and played in other NHL cities at all? It changed when I got to Buffalo, and that that was the first place where I really experienced it. And it's I mean, other than the one year in Buffalo, it was pretty smooth sailing. So I feel pretty fortunate in that sense. But so a lot of the American cities, you could see the difference. What do you mean? What, so, do you mean what, what do you mean in Buffalo? Oh, in Buffalo, I get denied entering a club when a golf club, but I was I happened to be the wrong shade, so that was a little eye opener, I and mean, that's not something I expected in ninety, what was it, but ninety four. So that was a little mm-hmm. bit different, and just just the culture was different. Hey, between Canada and the U.S., it's funny. It's it's a bigger difference the minute you cross the border, and then as you get down into the southern states it's still a difference to this day. And if you look at the way society is going in these days, it's actually going a little backwards, which is unfortunate. And Grant, LA, the LA area is home for you now, is it not? I live down in Palm Springs. 
Yeah. So do you do you see it there? You know, we've had some BC line players from the LA area that said, "No, Vancouver's going to be home for me." But uh, in the Palm Springs area, do do you still see it? As you mentioned, it almost seems like it's gone backwards in the last couple of years. Hey, you know what, Palm Springs, we're pretty fortunate. We're kind of in a bubble here. It's more of a retirement community where you don't see a lot of it. So I feel pretty lucky living here. Yeah, but LA, it's still there's some tough areas there that you still see it, but and Palm Springs is kind of a little bit little older community, so we don't see it much here at all. Uh, Grant Pierre here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, you were you were watching the Canucks and Jets last night. Uh, what what do you make of what you've seen from the Canucks this year? You picked up a lot of wins against them over the years, there, Grant. <laughs> I had pretty good luck against Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, so. don't rub it yeah. in. <laughs> but now they're they've got a lot of young talent, so I think it's it'll come together for them. It's just everybody every team goes through a rough patch, and it's a matter of how you come out of that rough patch. And when you have it, I mean, you'd rather have it in the beginning of a season than you would at the end of a season. But at the same time, in a shortened season, it's hard to have a rough patch. But Vancouver's going through it. Calgary's going through it. Everybody's going to have that little spot where they're going to have the bump in the road. Canucks have two good goalies. Neither of them have been great yet this year. Some were kind of surprised. Thatcher Demko played really well on Friday, gets the loss. But they don't go back to him. Do you think that messes with the mind of a Holpe or Demko when you play well, but uh, that's the other guy's chance. Do you think it's harder for a goalie? No, because we used to do that in Edmonton. You had to win to stay in. So, I, with, with two good goalies, as long as you kind of get onto a rotation, I don't think it bothers either guy. It forces both guys to be good. I, if you know that you have to play well to play more, then one, you're going to be better in practice, but two, you're also going to be better in games. Was it was it a healthy uh, tandem? You and Andy Moog, I mean, kind of the one-two punch there in, in the 80s. Was was it, I mean, I'm sure it was competitive. Was it a healthy competitiveness or was it like, was it, no, man, I, I, I hope you suck because I want the net. No, it was a healthy competitiveness. We both tried to help each other. So if we succeeded, the team succeeded. And at that time, it was all about the team. So it was, and I would, I would have never been as good as I was without having Andy there to push me. How's the golf game? Yeah, golf game's not bad. Getting to play. But the lovely thing about COVID is that's all you can do down here is play golf. <laughs> Are you cool? We, we watched it. You must have played. We watched, uh, uh, you know, Lake Tahoe. You've probably played in that Celebrity Challenge a few times, have you not? I have. I used to play a lot, bunch, oh, up until about six, seven years ago. What do Great you shoot setting. now? What do you shoot these days anyway, Grant? Oh, I still play to scratch. But, man, you know, back in the Edmonton days, Grant, and we would have had a similar golf partner, I'll throw out a name, Blair Oco, um, a long time ago from the Glendale. I mean, you were trying to play on the Canadian tour, and you did. Did it, did it, uh, did you find it's more difficult than maybe you assumed? Oh, it's definitely more difficult. I mean, compared to being a goalie, you have practice every day, and you, you worked at it your whole life. Golf's the same way. you got to practice every day, and you got to put the hours and the time in. And when I was playing, I didn't have the hours and the time to put into playing golf. Most of it went into hockey. So it, for me, it was a lot harder. But at the same time, it was a lot of fun because it kept your competitive juices flowing. Thanks for doing this. Nice to catch up, sir. And uh, thanks for uh, sharing the stories. And um, it's crazy how many teams you actually wound up sneaking up on uh, in terms of, you know, I think everybody would define you as an oiler, but... 
you got a half dozen teams in the NHL by the time it was all said and done. Yeah, I get to visit a couple of teams towards the end. So, <laughs> but... <laughs> always great. different neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, moving sucks though. That's the only thing I would say, as uh, having done it a few times. So, no, uh, I agree with that. Yeah, thanks, Grant. Nice to catch thanks, up, Grant. Sir. My pleasure, guys. Have a great morning. Thank you, you as well. There he is, uh, Grant Fuhr, Hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, still a Carey Price fan, and uh, taking a trip down memory lane where, uh, you know, it, it is it is fascinating. Like, there's a guy who was just a phenomenal. Like, Perry, you saw it firsthand. You know, the reflexes on Grant Fuhr, right? Um, and and how would how would his game translate now? You know he's probably given up four, five, six inches on some of the goaltenders in today's NHL. You think of the Pecorines out there, but man, with a big game, big moments, you know the athletic saves. I, I think him and Dominic Hasek were the the two goaltenders that stand out for me in my lifetime that could make just the most incredible athletic acrobatic stops. Well, and it was the timing. The first thing that reminded talking to Grant, he doesn't talk much. He's, he's, he's quick with the words. But it's amazing to look at his stats and see what his save percentage was in the glory days of the Oilers because it wasn't, wasn't any good. Like, I think 890 was his high save percentage, which wouldn't get you much in the NHL right now. But as we talked about with, with Holpe last night, it's the timing of those saves, right? It's, it's here comes a breakaway. You need a save. Okay, we got the save. And then the confidence in that Edmonton team – to roll it up and go, okay, thanks for that save. We're going to get one now for us and make it a little more easier. So he may be the one goalie that when you needed the save, he got the save for you. But you're right. He had a long NHL career in a couple of big cities there, and interesting for him to say, like, you know, everything was fine as far as this being Black History Month. He's a goalie. And then all of a sudden, the first time he's playing south of the border in Buffalo, it's realizing, oh, it's not exactly the same situation that he grew up with outside of Edmonton. Also sounds like he's having an easier time getting a golf tee time than uh, many people in uh, the lower mainland that have to sit there and <laughs> and, and, and yes. scramble online at a certain time to make sure they get something once a week. Uh, 8.46, some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show. Amanda, does Scotty have a show lined up for you coming up at 9 o'clock? We'll fill you in next right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with Jim Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Here's your Canucks in a song. Rager with a little culture club. Do you really want to hurt me? I think a lot of Canucks fans asking that this morning going, why do I keep doing this to myself with this team after the last 50 years? I get the sense tomorrow is probably the first game where there are absolutely zero expectations on this team from the fan base. Like, the fan base is just going to listen. We are not finding the postseason. Let's take a look at where our draft pick will be. They think Edmonton is coming in. Oilers will win it by three or four, and nothing is expected. Maybe that's a good thing, but I understand what the fans feeling that way. Oh, you know, I, I think there's still a belief where it ain't over till it's over. And, man, when you're... Uh, when you're a fan, it's you get emotionally invested, right? It's it's hard to just completely tap out of a team, especially with what you have 30 games to go or so. Uh, on, on this oh, season. you're watching the game and you're hoping, James, but I just think they're realistically going as our poll question. You know, 90% of the people saying no, this is not a playoff team anymore. Hmm. Uh, you know, the gap is too big. The gap is too big, but who knows? Can they get on a run and win seven in a row? 
Sure, that's not crazy, but you don't see any proof to say that'll happen. You, you know what? Winning seven in a row would just simply get your head above water at this point. That's right it, now. too, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. everybody else is picking up points. That's the tough thing. Right. That's exactly it. The Scott Rintoul Show coming your way at the top of the clock. Uh, Tyson Berry, uh, right out of the gate from the Edmonton Oilers, uh, will join uh, Scotty. Plus Justin Bourne, Dan Murphy also set to join uh, Scotty later on, which goes from 9 to noon here on Sportsnet 650. It's a day off for the Vancouver Canucks today. Uh, before we roll things out, two more songs we want to get to on the Dunbar Lumber get text it. line at 650-650. Uh, Martinsky going with a little classic from Sting, and it's Fragile. Man, Sting was just way cooler when he was with the police. And CJ, with a little Avril Lavigne, keep your head above water. So, so pull me up from down below. Cause I'm underneath the undertow. I think that's like the entire Canucks roster right now screaming that, right? Like, help! We're drowning in the standings. Dude, we're out of time. Did you see Saturday Night Live and that uh, driver's license song, the skit they did on Saturday? It was awesome. <laughs> I just saw the grocery store skit where everybody kept stopping them uh, to, to wear a mask. Uh, that's uh, the only one I saw. Uh, Topper Tuesday will join us tomorrow. We got to get out of here. We're back at it. Same bat time, same bat channel, right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650.